Welcome into Tailgate. Austin Gale here with Mike Renner in sunny Cincinnati. Ready to rip it up. The divisional round preview. Going to look at all those games. Picks against the spread. Straight up winner is going to do that. We're also going to look at the top and bottom five rookie draft classes. The 2021 NFL draft classes. And at the back end of the show, listener mailbag, listener voicemails, trivia, interviews with Jojo Doman and Lasitas Smith. Let's get it. Done a story in a while. We were on a tear of my dad and mom stories. My mom, a recovering convict, and my dad, soon to be, but you never know. But now I want to get back to my one of my first jobs ever. I was a cashier at Victoria's Secret. I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before. I was a cashier at Victoria's Secret. Came up with a good, you know, a lot of fun. There was the only guy at this Victoria's Secret in San Diego while I was going to San Diego. I was State. say working at Victoria's Secret as college kid, you seem like a pervert, but continue. Yeah, well, it, I wasn't kept from that criticism, <laughs> but yeah. you know, there was a lot of questions along those lines. But in there, that was one of the, my favorite stories from that time. There's probably a ton, but um, one of our managers would always in the mics at Victoria's Secret because when you work retail, they're like, "Hey, this lady's coming through. She needs a new bra, whatever." They say uh, our manager would always say, "Make sure everyone's smiling. Make sure everyone's smiling." And everyone's up there fucking cheesing at Victoria's Secret, wanting me to jump off a bridge. But then I was in line and we're working one of these like semi-annual sales where it's like seven panties for $27 and these fucking it's just a floodgates are open everyone's mm -hmm. grinding the tape then this mom and her kid are in line you could tell the little kid I'm working this line just grinding the tape at the cash register this kid needs to take a piss you could tell needs to pee bad like really bad and the mom just keeps like hold it hold it hold it hold it and I'm like dude I don't know this isn't gonna fly and eventually like halfway through the line kid just stops and you can just see him just piss himself pisses himself on the ground I'm seeing it as the cashier and I'm Who like first thing there? first thing I think for only guy here probably gonna ask me to clean it up I'm like not not gonna happen but I'm not gonna happen at this eight dollars an hour garbage here so I just keep like I don't see it then I have a couple customers come up and like hey I don't know if you saw looks like a kid might have peed himself in the line it's like oh what that's crazy then I called up and apparently there's a rule where the manager has to clean up any bodily fluids. Ooh. So then she's, this is the same manager that tells everybody to smile. She's like, yeah, I'm on it. And I see her on her hands and knees, clean up this kid's piss. And I get on the mic. I'm like, hey, uh, her name was Little K. Hey, Little K, I just want to make sure everyone's smiling. <laughs> and then it was, uh, it was, it got everybody going at the, at the place. But uh, yeah, Victoria's Secret, handful of stories. The worst thing about that place, worst thing working there is that every single night when you closed, you had to fold all of the women's underwear. And folding women's underwear is like, fucking impossible like there's such yeah. little frame there's not it's just it's a very difficult job i don't know if people want to like start a podcast on it but we can definitely do that in the future but that was one of my first gigs i do not have as exciting stories i didn't work a lot of very cool jobs i worked at pizza place um as a server it's mm -hmm. very boring i worked though one story i will tell um was from college i i would work in the summers as a research intern for the stats professor and uh, I was doing like coding for her and I'm in her office and she's like asking me to show her like what I was doing. And so she asked me to log on to whatever uh, system thing we used. And the way her like desk was set up, she's like sitting at it and I'm like back over her shoulder. So for me to like get in and type it in myself, it's going like, to have to, we're all going to have to back out. We're all going to have to like do this whole thing. She's like, oh, I could just type it in. Just, I, I'm not like whatever, just tell me. <laughs> My password at the time was Big Tit 69. I'm a sophomore in college. I thought that was hilarious. That's it's not an excuse. That's something, not I would, excuse. something I would remember. 
And so I'm like panicking. I'm like, how do I get around? But I don't want to like make it awkward and be like, no, I'd rather type this in myself. So I just start spelling it out for her. I'm like, B I and like try not to spell out like words. And I'm like, B I T G T I T S six nine. Oh, I mean, that's actually not the least clever thing. I, I, we just stared at the computer for a few seconds, didn't say anything. She didn't reckon, she didn't at least say anything about it. So that's good. So maybe she'd never know. That is wild, man. That is uh, kind of incredible, actually. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't have any stories like that. I don't have, my password has never been and will never be anywhere near that level. But um, all the jobs I had were Chipotle, Victoria's Secret, and then I was that uh, I was an app, like an after school program leader while I was still trying to be a teacher. And then I was a cashier at my dad's weed dispensary, which was fucking. There's some good that. stories there. But let's get into this stuff. We're gonna go over the divisional round, top and bottom rookie draft classes, listener mailbag, etc. Um, let's get into first the divisional round preview. Or before we, I had a catch an early buzz if you don't mind. Oh, let's catch a buzz. Did you see? Did you see Tom Brady shout out a little PFF or his social media team shout out PFF yeah. today? I was kind of fired. He dis- we disproved the popular narrative that Brady gets all the rough of the pass calls because per hit, per time he's been knocked down, he actually has one of the lowest rates of rough in the passer uh, calls in the NFL. So there you have it. Brady, Brady suggested it, and we ended up looking and finding and seeing that it was actually true. That is, uh, yeah, we, the social media team today was like, what should we do? How should we respond? Blah, blah, blah. And I like, took a look, and I was like, we, we should, do have the rough in the passer stuff. We should respond by asking Brady to send us some of his new clothing line. No. That's what we want. Brady, if you're watching right now, sponsor the show. We would love some Brady clothing. Do you see how expensive his shit is? No. It's like a hundred bucks for like a sweatshirt. Jeez. It is not. I mean, are you surprised? He's chasing the high end market. I'm not, but I was debating like when I heard it was announced, I'm like, oh shit, I'm going to buy some of this just for like the fun of it. Like when I bought Maker Mayfield's underwear. Um, But no, I'm not going to will. I'm not going to spend a hundred dollars for a joke. Yikes, $100 for a joke. Uh, it's about 25 on the stupid Baker Mayfield underwear that say six, right where my hog's supposed to be. Can and you they're not the most un- hog? It's underwear. You're talking about Victoria's Secret over here, and dude's pissed on the floor. But it, it was... There was uh, a kid, not a There's a big six, and they're the most uncomfortable, which that's like not what you want showing right where, you know. And also, it's they're the most uncomfortable underwear I own. I'd never mm-hmm. even wear them. I need to, I need to get a... Need to get some of those. Oh, they're probably on sale at this point. Yes, dude. I feel like you can get the uh, Baker Mayfield six hawks. <laughs> yeah, I can't for, give those. Do they call them the six hawks? How's it? Sixer. How's it I don't Sixer. Know. All right. Let's get into Bengals Titans first. Now, I am giving the Bengals the curse. Okay. I like the Bengals against the spread and on the money line this week. I think they're going to go to Nashville and win this football game. Now, Derrick Henry, I think, is supposed to be back, but something that did just come up was. Um, Janoris Jenkins, starting outside cornerback, who was not on the injury report early, just got thrown on the injury report today. And if they lose him and he's out with an ankle injury, that's a factor in favor, obviously, for the Cincinnati Bengals, especially for a team that like arguably has the best you know, trio of receivers in the NFL right now. I think that could be a, a significant situation. I think the Bengals press on. I was talking to Mike Quinn. Mike Quinn's on the mic today, too. But like it all, it's all in Zach Taylor's hands. Zach Taylor goes into this game and wants to throw the football and, and put points on the board. I think they can win it. If they show up with the same game plan they had against the Raiders, I don't think they can put up a ton of points. And the Raiders, the only reason, again, like why they were in that game is that they, they were a little bit conservative in the cold. It's supposed to be high 30s, low 40s in Nashville. Maybe you see a similar game plan. But, man, if they want to win this game, I think they have to turn it on. They have to press the gas pedal down. And ultimately, I think they do. Zach Taylor finds a way. He knows what it means. Goes out to Tennessee. They win and cover the spread. That is currently three and a half. 
Yeah, this is. I, I like I like the Bengals too, and, and what you mentioned there—the Joris Jenkins injury—that's scary if I'm a Titans fan, because that's that's one of like the that's a you you don't have the depth at the cornerback position to match up with this receiving core. I'm already worried about it, even without even if he plays, because when you look up and down this Titans cornerback group, they're not big. Joris Jenkins is five ten. Christian Fulton, a six foot, that's the biggest dude in your in your cornerback group. Elijah Molden, five nine and a half. Their backups, Chris Jackson, five ten. Buster Screen, five nine. You're going up against a six foot two slot receiver in Tyler Boyd. A six four outside receiver in T. Higgins. The smallest of the bunch is Jamar Chase, and he's out, like the most physical too. Like you you are you are a speed group running into a bunch of power forwards here. You know, your your point guards running into power forwards, and that's a scary proposition if I'm a Titans fan. Now, I will say, the Titans and the havoc they can create from their interior with the stunts and whatnot that they do on their defensive line, I think they're going to sack Joe Burrow a bunch of times this game. I think they're going to have a lot of success up front. But even still, I think the game plan is max pros, deep shots, get the ball out of Burrow's hands when it's not, and the Bengals should win this game, in my opinion. Man, so then you're saying we, we are saying right now that the Bengals are going to the AFC Championship. We are saying I've that. said that. That's what I'm saying. Bengals to the AFC Championship. Quinn, your reactions. Are you nervous because I'm backing them? Yeah, I mean, I've been nervous all year every time you backed them because it <laughs> kind of hasn't panned out. But uh, yeah, no, I mean, I, I I I think when they locked up that four seed, like this was like everybody kind of agreed, like this was as good of a draw as they could have gotten right like Raiders and then Titans as opposed to you know Chiefs or Bills like I I, I don't know if I'm willing to go as far as to say like I expect them to win but I I wouldn't be surprised yeah to have a path to the AFC title game without having to face the Chiefs or Bills is a big dub for the Bengals in terms of just and obviously a big dub for the Titans too. But, yeah, know, yeah, but, yeah. But for the Bengals. I mean, because what is this line if Buffalo is going to Tennessee? Like, I honestly don't even know if Tennessee is favored, right? Like, ten- yeah. right now, Bills Buffalo Chiefs. Would be favored. Yeah, it's Bills Chiefs right now. The Chiefs, Chiefs are at home and are favored by one and a half. Yeah. What, what's the line if the Bengals are going to Buffalo or KC? Exactly. I think like, it's that's like probably six. that's probably way bigger than three yeah. and a half. Like, if they go to the AFC Championship and it's in Kansas City, I think they're like six point dogs. Like, I think it's gonna be legit. A little bit wider than obviously the three and three and a half. Well, they're at home. Tennessee would be. Or are you talking about the Bengals? I'm talking about Bengals. Okay. Yeah, Bengals yeah, to KC. Um, yeah, I think I'm, I'm going to lock it in. Bengals lock it against, in. Bengals against spread. Bengals money line. Next here. Well, before I do, I have to mention the proud presenting sponsor of the Tailgate Podcast. It is Manscaped. Cheers to 2022 and resolutions or you can actually keep. How about having clean and shiny balls all year round? Our sponsors on Manscaped. Our at Manscaped are here to save your balls this year and make the ball drop in 2022, the cleanest and sexiest ever. Set your first New Year's resolution with good intentions and join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with our exclusive offer. Go to manscaped.com and use code PFF for 20% off plus free shipping. Whether it's your solution, to whether your resolution is to work out more or travel to new places, be sure to travel to manscaped.com for our exclusive offer. Cheers to new balls in 2022. Not just clean, not just shaved, new in 2022 get 20% off and free shipping with the code pff at manscaped.com that's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com use code pff it's new year no pubes in 2022 with manscaped manscaped should partner with baker mayfield and get some underwear line out 
I mean, if they parted with athletes and they you could get like their number on there. I don't know. I don't know. That's a horrible idea. <laughs> That's not a horrible idea. All right, 49ers Packers. You you start. You're Harder going to the game. Podcast. You got the Packers. You got the Packers jersey on. You think it's a big dub. They're favored by six. It's the widest line of any team favored this week in the divisional round. They are favored by six over the San Francisco 49ers. I am way too close to this game to have a, an objective take. I'll just say that. Like I am admitting right now that I'm too close to this. But I will say, I, if if you tell me that the Packers have Zadarius Smith back, that they have David Bakhtiar back, that they have Jair Alexander back, and that they're all fully healthy and going to play in this game a full, you know, whatever, 60 snaps, I am betting the Packers on this. If not, if I think Bakhtiar will be back. Obviously, he played week 17. I feel good about him being back and healthy. But if Sedaira Smith, whatever, Jair Alexander limited, I don't love it because when are the Packers susceptible? Susceptible against rushing attacks. Still are. You saw it against the Browns. You saw it against the Saints week one. If you can dictate in terms on the ground, you can have success against this Packers defense. That is... Uh, pretty. I mean, that's the way to have success against a lot of these defenses that sit in those uh, two high shells. We saw it with the Bills against the Colts and when they had the rushing attack going, how much that opens everything up. So I do worry about that, but I also think a lot of the Debo Samuel stuff, a lot of you know Elijah Mitchell having success, like this Packers team is very good. They have the second best team tackling grade in the NFL this season. They at least can wrap up in space. And that's something you have to do against the 49ers. So like Ayuk, Kittle... Jawan Jennings, Debo, those guys can break tackles, but this is, like I said, a very good tackling linebacking core secondary. So I think the Packers win, but six is a lot if, like I said, if this Packers team isn't back at full strength defensively. Right now, according to PFF Greenline, which you can get an elite subscription for 20%, 25% off with promo code tailgate, you can see that 51% of the cash bet on this game is actually on the Niners plus six. And PFF Greenline sees value on the Niners at plus six and 1.6% edge. They also see a 0.6% edge on the 49ers on the money line, which I think is currently priced at plus, let me see, plus 206, plus 205 in some spots. I... I know that you know the the San Francisco 49ers are a bit of a buzzsaw right now, but there is not a lot of me that wants to me. There's not a lot for me to back for them to win this game. I feel Green Bay wins it, but six does feel like a lot. I think San Francisco can keep this game close. I think their playmakers are vastly underrated. Everyone talks about Cincinnati, including myself, but Debo Samuel. Ben Solak of the Ringer wrote a really good piece on just how valuable he's been to the San Francisco 49ers and how well they've used him. Used him out of the backfield. They've used him at outside. They've used him in the slot. Like people, he is. A gadget has such a negative connotation, mm-hmm. in my opinion, because it makes them feel like you're gimmicky, right? Debo Samuel is being used like creatively, and he's really fucking good. You know what I mean? And that has been evident in how well he's played after the catch and how well he's impacted this offense. And then you factor in Elijah Mitchell, one of the top running backs from a PFF grading perspective. George Kittle playing well. Like this offense has playmakers, and Jimmy G. Yeah, he hasn't. There are a few throws per game that keeps the Cowboys. In, in a game like we saw last week that keeps mm-hmm. people in games. But there are enough throws that I think have them cover this spread against Green Bay, even if it is all the way up there in Lambeau. I think they cover, but the Packers win. I can get bored with that. I'll take that. You'll take that. I don't need a cover. <laughs> I don't need a cover here. Rams, Bucks. I will be there, though, also. Packers game. If you're in town, hit a, bro- hit a brother up. Hit a brother up. How often do you say that? Daily. <laughs> 
Rams at Bucks. Rams are three-point dogs going into Tampa Bay. Okay. Why am I like... I think one of my favorite bets this week is Bucks minus three. Oh, is it? I really like the Bucks to cover the spread and win this game. I think the injuries are obviously a concern, but they got a lot of these guys back now. Obviously not, obviously not Chris Godwin, but Shaq Barrett played last week. Levante David is back. They're expecting Tristan Wirfs to play. They're expecting mm-hmm. Ryan Jensen to play. The receiving situations hurts with no Chris Godwin and no Antonio Brown, but Mike Evans is playing well. Gronkowski is playing well. I think there's enough there for the Bucs that were going into the postseason with some shakiness. The fact that they got a lot of these guys back. Antoine Winfield Jr. is now back and healthy as well. I think that's enough. I think that's enough for the Bucs to be a feared team, yeah. you know, a feared top seed in the NFC. Only three-point favorites at home. I yeah. like the Bucs against the spread and to win. I do too, and Sean Murphy Bunting may play as well. Um, he may be back this week. So that would be a fully healthy secondary. Mm-hmm. And that's that's where they butter their bread. I, could, I don't know why I couldn't think of the saying I was trying to think of. But that's where they butter their bread. That's, Hit me up, that's what got them to the Super Bowl last year is the fact that they go three deep at corner and three deep at safety and talented dudes that can match up with at least what the Rams are throwing out there. So uh, the we've made a lot of, you know, we talked a lot about the worst injury. Talked a lot about the Jensen injury. Andrew Whitworth may not play in this game, though. That would be a bigger injury to me than, than either Tristan Wirfs or Ryan Jensen because Brady gets the ball out. Like, yes, they have great pass protection. That helps. But when he is on, the pass protection's almost an afterthought. It's almost like Aaron Rodgers with the Packers in that banged up line at the end of the year. It's like when he's really on, the, the ball is out before anyone gets there or could feasibly get there. So I don't think it's that massive of a deal necessarily that you lose just some worse, whereas Matt Stafford in that Rams offense and like the explosive plays they generate down the football field are much more dependent on that offensive line. So for those reasons, I like the Bucs as well. Bucks going to the NFC Championship, which you love to see against probably the Green Bay Packers, where Green Bay will fall short again in a season that a lot of people didn't expect to see with Aaron Rodgers. Bills, Chiefs, Chiefs, Opened as two and a half point favorites. This is this the game of the week. This one's great. This is a great game. This is the game of the week. Bills, Chiefs, Chiefs at home. Chiefs are opened as two and a half point favorites. The line has moved now to one and a half. Chiefs are favored by one and a half. And honestly, dude, I like the Bills. I like the Bills to go to Arrowhead and win a team that's obviously comfortable winning in the cold. Everyone, the first thing you bring up with Arrowhead with a lot of teams is, man, it's going to be cold. Buffalo's born in the cold, bred in the cold. You do not bring that up with Arrowheads. Kansas City. Kansas City is like middle America. That's Are you not kidding cold. me? Arrow, Arrowhead's always cold. In the, in the, in Everywhere the, is always cold in fucking January. Shut up. And it's outside. Whatever. I think Buffalo can go to Arrowhead and win this game. Josh Allen's going to be 41 degrees, 48 degrees on Sunday in, in Kansas City, Missouri. <laughs> I, this dumb. is not Green Bay. I'm dumb. I'm dumb. What's gonna it going to be, be in Green Bay? 10? I think it's highs in the teens. But oh, it's wow. a night game, so it's going to be like cold low well regardless throw the weather out the window i'm an idiot i like the bills man i think josh allen's playing really good football this defense is unreal micah Hyde and jordan poyer on the back end i think it's enough i think it's enough to not i'm not saying even slow down the chiefs i'm not saying blow out the chiefs but this offense in the afc of any offense Bengals, titans bills is the one that i think can go toe-to-toe with patrick Mahomes and score 30 plus if he's got to score 30 plus or 40 plus if he's got to score 40 like this offense can do it and defensively it's the number one ranked offense in epa per play allowed it's the number one ranked offense in scoring point scoring drive percentage it is that good of a defense to where i do think that they ultimately win this game i like the chiefs in this one i like Chiefs to cover and here's the biggest difference for me 
It's that for the Bills to win, you said Josh Allen can go off and win them this game. And yeah, he can. But he has to go off for them to win this game, in my opinion. Like, he has to go out and be that 90-plus graded performance, that elite game that we see every so often from Josh Allen. Because that's because he is that offense. Whereas on the flip side of the ball, the Chiefs can put up points on you without Patrick Mahomes playing a perfect game. You know, he goes for 400 yards, five touchdowns last week, and he only earned a 78.0 overall grade. And now you could shit on PFF grading system all you want in terms of if you think that's justified or not. But the fact is he hasn't graded out that well this year down the stretch. It's just been kind of like good, but you're still getting the Chiefs offense results because Mm -hmm. you have Tyreek Hill, you have Travis Kelsey, you have Andy Reid calling plays, you have this good system that has adapted to these two high coverages that they didn't have answers for early on in the season when the Bills blew them out. So I think down the stretch, you've seen much more in terms of the screen game getting involved. Jarek McKinnon now looking like a difference maker in the running game that has to be accounted for, that they can actually just rely on that to move the ball down the football field. I think the Chiefs just have more answers offensively than the Bills do, when, like I said, the Bills' answer is Josh Allen going superhuman. Mm-hmm. Now, that happens, yes, the Bills do win. You know, Josh Allen looks like he did last week, yes, the Bills do win. But I just think probabilistically looking at this the Chiefs baseline offense is just higher than the Bills I I guess if I and I agree with you I think if you're predicting a Bills win you're predicting a superhuman affair for Josh Allen you're predicting him going in and being as dominant as he has been of late right he's been really good down the stretch of this season um when like weather permitting right I think everyone brings up that Bills Patriots game where they lost but like that game was like you throw that one out the window like they both teams barely could throw the football I think Mac Jones attempted even three passes but since then he's been dynamite oh, lights this, out this would be my dump truck of the week Chiefs yeah Chiefs are gonna dump truck the Bills you think what was your dump truck of the week I'm not, I'm going Bucks over the Rams Bunks I think the, the Bucks dump truck, dump truck the Los okay. Angeles Rams at home you have to pick a dump truck and you only have four games. That's going to be tough. <laughs> You're going to have some Rams fans or some Bills fans really upset. I think that's the assumption we can make. Before we get to the top five and bottom five rookie classes, remember top five being most impressive, bottom five being most disappointing, right? It's not like, oh, wow, these bottom rookie classes, it's so bad. They completely busted on all of their picks. It's over. It's more looking at, are you disappointed coming out of this year based on how other rookies have performed, who you had available on your slate, all that kind of stuff. But before we do, DraftKings, proud sponsor of the Tailgate Podcast, we're on to the divisional round of the NFL playoffs. And DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is celebrating with huge odds boost for new customers. Counting down Super Bowl 56, new customers can get 56 to 1 odds on any team. Bet just $5 and 280 in free bets if your team wins. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still get in on the action of the divisional round. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Football Contest. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use code PFF and get 56 to 1 odds on any NFL team. Bet just $5 and win 280 in free bets if your team wins. That's promo code PFF for 60 to 1 odds at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 years or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only, minimum $5 deposit, $1 wage required. One for customers, strict supplies, see DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling promo code 1 800 Gambler. We're going to be at the Super Bowl in LA. Not the actual game. Not the actual game, but we'll be there the for the media event that is the Super Bowl. For those who don't know, Super Bowl is like really like the biggest part of it is the week of. The week of the Super Bowl is a massive media event for people to go and bump elbows and network or whatever. We're going to be there. Get drunk. Get drunk. Stop. Not me. No. Try January. Okay. Oh, wait, that's February. Okay, I'm good then. 
for the Super Bowl. We've talked about this a handful of times. We still have not like nailed down our plans. What? Why not stay a little bit in LA, make some plays? I don't know. Are you going to? I'm, I'm what thinking plays about. We made? It. I'm not a big LA guy. Go if down I to San Diego. Why don't we just fly yeah. down? We we drive down to San Diego right after the media week. Watch it, in, watch it in San Diego. I have a dog to take care of. Dude, fuck your dog. Honestly. <laughs> we were talking about this in the office, actually. This is an interesting tangent. So, you know, so Eric Eager had to put down a cat recently that he bought for his oh, kids. Jesus. And, you know, it was going to be like Did six. Did he have John Costco do it? <laughs> Stop. Stop. <laughs> no one gets oh, that reference. Man, no Stop. one gets that reference. But can I tell the story about John Costco? Yes, please do. So John Costco tweeted out a video of him dragging his cat across the John Costco. Guy I need to find this fucking tweet. He dragged his cat across the carpet and tweeted like tweeted out a video of it saying the cat loves. Uh, his son was doing it. His son's dragging his cat by its like paws across the carpet on stomach, and it's like, oh man, kids <laughs> love their it. new cat. And it's like, dude, that looked like cat abuse, you know? Like, it, he said, he said, no, the cat loves it. He lets us do it every time. And it's like, you watch the video. It. I just dropped a tweet in the tailgate Slack channel. <laughs> you watch the video and it's not, it doesn't look like he loves it. I'll just say that. And he thought that was a good thing. So to, I don't know not, cats, right? thought it was a good thing, one, to do. And then two, to tweet. And that's why I said, did John Costco do it? I don't know cats, right? I don't, okay, whatever. I've never had a fucking cat. But this video, when I first saw it three or four years ago now, I was like, what the literal hell? Is that cat dead? I thought the cat was dead and he was dragging a corpse cat. But uh, Costco more, defended one, it. One more story about John Costco. He's the only person I've ever blocked on Twitter. Wow. He's currently blocked. Wow. He's currently he blocked. Was it the tweets. cat video? No, he just like, he says awful tweets. Like <laughs> every every week, month or so. That's what, uh, I block him and then unblock him, give him a trial. And then I realize that, why I blocked him in the first place and blocked this him. this cat tweet is honestly insane you have to look it up just type from John Costco cat you'll find it on Twitter eventually but this thing's fucking absurd how do we get on the Costco stuff uh you talked about Eric Eager putting his cat down oh we're having this conversation about your dog because you said your dog stinks whatever yeah. we're having that this conversation smells. yeah literally um his cat that he got he had it for like a week and then he got really sick or something oh, shit. <laughs> and then the vet was like it's gonna cost six grand or you put it down mm. and he's like I'll put it down what is the number for your dog? Oh, don't do that to me. I'm not going to answer that question. <laughs> you don't have to, but we were, not talking, answer that we were talking about it in the office. But, like, it was a new cat for the Eric Eager family, right? Yeah. So, like, four grand? I'll tell you what. I don't care if the, my kids fell in love with it in three days. I'm not fucking spending four grand on a cat. I, I mean, I'd spend four grand on my dog. Yeah, but you've had your dog for, like, six years. Six years. Yeah. Now, if we got the 10. Yeah. Worth, I mean, there's, there's a number. There's a number. I'll I say know. that. There is a number where it's too much. I'm not going to get into specifics. Okay, that's fine. Really no, that's fine. I, I think this conversation has been derailed a bit. The Costco yeah. cat comment going to how much would it take to kill your dog? Uh, rookie classes, top and then bottom. You go ahead and read your top five off first okay. and then debate them through. So, again, this is like what picks they had and how they maximized it. So, like value. So, obviously, the Bengals had a great draft, but they had their pick of the second position player off the board. You know, they have the number two pick in a class that has no QBs. It's kind of how like, you want to look at it. So it's like, they better hit it. They better have hit a slam dunk. And they did. So like, Bengals, great draft. But like, these teams, I thought, went above and beyond their draft positions mm -hmm. and how good their drafts were. Number one, I have the New England Patriots. Mac Jones, Christian Barmer. We talk about it all the time. You, late round picks are great. It's great to get value in the late rounds. Fill out your roster. Get someone there. First and second round picks are your franchise, though. You, you hit on those. Your first and second round pick for the way the Patriots did here, Mac Jones, Christian Barmore, 
you hit on that every single year, you win championships. Yeah. You win a championship with that good a draft. Does, like flat out, you do. You get difference maker in the first, second round every year, you're winning championships. So that to me, and that's pick number 15, pick number 38, that is a dub. And now you got Ramondre Stevenson later. Uh, not a lot else to write home about for a year, but that to me is enough. Number two, I went with the Kansas City Chiefs, a draft uh, we've talked about a lot here on this show. Nick Bolton, a favorite of ours coming out. He was good, not exceptional, but Creed Humphrey, Trey Smith, that's what make this draft. To be able to overhaul your offensive line with rookies doesn't happen. You know, straight up, like, it was a – people worried about this Chiefs line going in the year, and it's one of the best lines of football. So that's – because Creed Humphrey and Trey Smith are dudes. And you got them at 63 and 226 overall. And yeah, Smith falls there because they, they both played over a thousand snaps this year, too. Yeah. And, and that no. matters, in my opinion. Like just getting them on the football field and the fact that they can stay yeah. is tough. Number three on this list, one of my favorite drafts at the time, still one of my favorite drafts, and this is Miami Dolphins Jalen Waddell, Jalen Phillips, Javon Holland. Slam dunk, likely slam dunk. Maybe like, maybe like a nice finger roll at the very least in Jalen Phillips and then a pretty sick slam dunk in Javon Holland that, that is one two three to get those three guys on your team two valuable two highly paid positions and another guy who's just already one of the best safeties in the NFL that is massive win for them and even though they did have a lot of draft capital that's still a great return Chargers at number four again Rayshon Slater about as good as you can do with pick number 13 and then Asante Samuel Jr. that's a win-win for picks one and two um, and then finally, rounding out, Cleveland Browns, Greg Newsome, Jeremiah Wiscormo. Again, win-win, picks one and two. You hit on those. You feel good about those. That is my top five drafts. I viewed it similarly. I moved some things around. I put the Chiefs one. I think what they got out of Creed Humphrey and Trey Smith is obviously fantastic. And I put them ahead of the Patriots, though. I mean, you debate positional value, right? Hitting on a rookie quarterback, I mean, Patriots could be like one, two, and three, right, for what they've done so far. Yeah. Um, Patriots with Mac Jones and Christian Barmore obviously have success. And then I had the Chargers. You had them at four. I had them at three. I had put them ahead of the Dolphins. I, I really liked – I mean, Rashawn Slater, valuable position, even exceeding you know expectations as it goes. And then Asante Samuel Jr. And the other name I'd mention too is Josh Palmer, who got to mm. saw the field this year and has played well for the Chargers. Dolphins, I put it four for the reasons you said. I still think I want to see more from Jalen Phillips. And honestly, I could, could have dropped the Dolphins down to five. And I think I will officially. Oh, And move the Browns to four. I think Browns four, Dolphins five, in my opinion. Because as good as Jalen Waddle was, I still think a lot of their other picks, and as good as Javon Holland was, I think you want to see more from Jalen Phillips, their other first-round pick in the 2021 NFL Draft before you feel that confident. Whereas the Browns, it's like, for where the slots that they got these guys, Jeremiah Wusakormoa, Greg Newsom, those guys are obviously exceeding expectations I put them mm -hmm. in for. And um, that's kind of where I have it. Chiefs, Patriots, Chargers, Browns, Dolphins. Some consideration for the Broncos, I think you have to consider – a little bit for the Bengals because they got Jamar Chase, but I think those exceeded expectations, and I think that's very close to what you said. Yes. Bottom three rookie classes go. This one's tough. So, like, again, I said exceeding expectations. So I, I didn't include the Rams or the Seahawks. They didn't have a pick in the top, what, 50. They, they had just, like, no draft capital. What are you going to do? They didn't, they didn't get much out of the rookie classes. They were never supposed to get much out of the rookie classes. I debated including the Jaguars on this list. Because after Trevor Lawrence, it wasn't particularly pretty, and they had a lot of draft picks. But I think Tyson Campbell, there's still reasons to be encouraged about. Walker Little, reasons to be encouraged about. And it's like Trevor Lawrence, of the rookie quarterbacks, I'd still take him 
wholesale number one. So I did not include them. Here was mine. And like I said, there haven't there weren't a lot of like blown first rounders. And so there's not a lot of teams that are like just vehemently coming away from their first round picks being like, damn, would have had it, would have liked to do over. But I do think the Cardinals at pick 16 could qualify as one of them. And getting so with their first pick, Zayvon Collins couldn't see the field. Rondale Moore with their second round pick struggled to see the field. Marco Wilson plays the most snaps of any of those rookies, and he's just up and down and inconsistent. And they're like, now, like, forget him in the fourth round. That's probably a good pick considering, but like, it's not above and beyond. We're not, he's not so good that he's necessarily even going to be starting in two years. You know, like, he, he wasn't that encouraging as a rookie. So they're the, they're number one, this list number I two. I think before we move off the Cardinals, I had a few comments there, and, and my bottom five is Cardinals, Raiders, Titans. I think yeah. you have Cardinals, Raiders, Falcons, and we'll talk more about that, but I want to spend some time on the Cardinals here. Right. Not only did Zayvon Collins, not even Zayvon Collins like, struggle to see the field, but do you remember that, that, that press conference where Jordan Hicks said Steve Kime called him after the draft yeah. and said, hey, we're not going to give you an opportunity to compete for a starting role because we drafted Zayvon Collins and obviously have Isaiah Simmons. And like, he told that to reporters. Yeah. And then... Which was weird. was so weird. You never hear that. You never hear that. Like, literally never hear yeah. that. And then Jordan Hicks plays over 1,100 snaps this year. Like, he does start and does start over Zayvon Collins. Like, obviously going against what Steve Kime intended yeah. because Hicks could better see the field for whatever reason. And then the other thing that you mentioned, Rondell Moore, right? I also think it's a rich pick for how they used him. And, like, I guess we shouldn't be surprised with how they used him. But I think he had the lowest average depth of target of any receiver in the NFL this year. Yeah. I think it was, like, 0.5 yards. Like if you're going to use him as, like, this glorified running back, I think picking him at where they did is as electric as Rondell Moore was. And there's a lot of people mm -hmm. at PFF that obviously, for the right reasons, love what Rondell Moore brings to the table. I'm pulling up the stat now, like, what his actual average depth of target was. But – if you're going to use him that way, it's just going to be like a low value player. Like that's just like bottom line is not going to be a low. It's not going to be you know a high value player. I think the well, official I mean, was 1.3 yards. Like running backs have a higher average of the target than that. To use Rondell more like that and draft them that highly, I just don't think is. I just don't think that's getting plus value. I don't. Well, I mean, he's just only played 452 snaps. So he played half your snaps. That's also like I don't care how good you are, how dynamic you are, and he is pretty dynamic. Like he did break a lot of tackles still. 452 snaps. You just can't make the impact that drafting a legitimate starter would make. So that's why I put them there at number one. Number two, Las Vegas Raiders. Um, I don't want to harp on their first round pick, but it wasn't good. And then I remember this is disappointing. Trev right? Yeah, disappointing. Trevor Merrick, solid. We believed in him. But then you had two more top 100 picks. Malcolm Kuntz, Divine Diablo didn't do much. Kuntz had some flashes later on in the season when he actually uh, ended up seeing the field. Diablo as well, but like another draft that's just like you, you came away with a single high safety which is almost like single high safeties are placeholders a lot of times like that's who you came away with from this draft so that one has to be called disappointing and then number three i don't know you you hated on this for me for including this but let me give my rationale i put the atlanta falcons there's they, gonna be some falcons fans that hate that, hate they, had the, that. they had the de facto number one overall pick like i kind of said about jamar chase you had your choice of any non-quarterback in this draft and you drafted the sixth best non-quarterback in this draft as a rookie. Now, I'm not, again, not writing him off. He's still very good. But if you're a Falcons fan, would you rather have Jamar Chase, Jalen It's just you, Austin, right now. You're a Falcons fan. Mm -hmm. Would you rather have Kyle Pitts or Jamar Chase? Jamar Chase. Kyle Pitts or Jalen Waddle? 
It's close. I might I, I might go Waddle though. Cal Pitts or Micah Parsons? Parsons. Cal Pitts or Patrick Sertan? Sertan, JJ Trell. Does that interest you? I, I might go I might go Pitts over Sertan. Okay. Maybe. Cal Pitts or Rashawn Slater? Slater, obviously. So it's like I'm just that's why I'm including him in this because and now Pitts is young, still in development, but there were a lot of guys talented at the top, and you like you drafted one that again, like you said, you probably would have had another, a bunch of other guys for him. And then you can't get Richie Grant to see the field, your second round pick in with a safety group that's pretty cheeks. And then you can get your third round pick in Jalen Mayfield to see the field, and he's one of the lowest graded guards in the NFL. So that to me, like I said, you go one, two, three. And now the Cal Pitts one again. It's good. I'm really not trying to shit on Cal Pitts, but it's just looking at this from a you couldn't go wrong standpoint. They still got, like I said, lower value. Lower value than like what the pick could have. Yeah, I just think it's tough to put them in the bottom three. When you I know, and I'm not. I'm really not like. I'm not down on by any means. Mm-hmm. I'm just. There weren't there weren't a lot of disappointing classes like right out the gate except yeah. for like I said Rams Seahawks obviously are going to suck you had no picks so uh, my bottom or my third so I had Cardinals Raiders for the reasons you said then Titans mm-hmm. Titans I think disappointing is the key word here right Caleb Farley Caleb Farley obviously gets hurt and that's your first round pick but like if you were concerned about Caleb Farley is because you think he's going to get hurt and he got hurt like that's disappointing right yeah. and then even beyond that Dylan Radens who's had opportunity to play this year did not grade all that well even compared to some of the other offensive linemen we could have had in the second round. So I do think you have to be disappointed in this rookie class and how much impacted this this season. Yeah, I do think I, I kind of glossed over the injury guys, but the Panthers and Titans, when you draft guys and they get hurt as a rookie, that's just like not – it's always puts you behind the eight ball. Like mm-hmm. not a lot of great, great careers start with guys out here one. Yeah, you know? yeah, like yeah. That's just, it's just a tough way to begin right out the gate. Um, and then, like I said, their second and third rounders respectively weren't much right home about let's get to off of the top and bottom three here i think i wanted to also add this stat that the three teams with the lowest snaps played by rookies this year were the vikings colts and seahawks a lot of that's because of the picks that they had but vikings at 16 20 colts at 13 38 and then the seahawks with the lowest amount of snaps 12 97 we are on to trivia then mailbag or no do we do mailbag and trivia? I always forget which ones we do first. Quinn. We do mailbag first, but let's do mailbag first. Voice everyone you guys want. Let's do voicemails. Voicemails. All right. Uh, first one is from. Uh, we'll go with Dom C. All right, lads. A question from one of your international listeners from London. Wow. Um, but before I get to my question, I got to give a bit of context here for Renner. Um, so Austin got added to a group chat on Twitter a few days ago where one of my friends subjected the poor bastards to some pretty horrific NFL takes. He's and unsurprisingly, Austin pissed all over him. But the low light was that my mate called Leonard Fournette, uh, quote, an elite, an elite first round running back. So my question to you guys is what has been the worst NFL take this season that the other one has made? Cheers, guys. Oh. So I was, in, yeah, I got added this fucking random group chat on Twitter and I mean, normally you don't respond to some of those, but I'm, I kind of want – the 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 intro was absurd. This guy in this group chat said every team – every good team in the NFL has an elite running back. And I was just like, that's just not true. Like, it's, a, it's literally not true. And then he said, yeah, the Bucks included. Leonard Fournette's an elite running back. It's like, you're high. Mm-hmm. Like, 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 yeah, so I ended up stopped that. responding at some point because it was fucking absurd, right? Like, I mean, it just didn't make any sense. But I guess your reaction to whether or not Leonard Fournette's an elite running back? No. Oh, he's not. 
he's not leaving running back. But so what, so he's asking for what was your worst take this year that you had? Oh man, worst take this year. It's been a ton. Uh, <laughs> oh man, I'm, I'm trying, really to, trying think to my deep. worst take. I think I know what mine is. I said at one point, I'm like, I I said Kyle Shanahan may not make it through the season. I said when they were three oh, and five. I'm really? like, I'm like, there's a possibility. Like I had never thought there was a possibility until. I was like, there's a possibility, and now it's like, shit, they might. No, they your might worst take is when you said Urban Meyer was the best coaching hire of the offense. Oh, I missed. Yep, that was good. That was a bad one. <laughs> you said Urban I have bad Meyer. coaching takes. Apparently. You said Urban Meyer was the best coaching hire of the offseason, which is a literal <laughs> joke. But I think my worst one was the Eagles stuff. I was fading the Eagles. Stuff. Oh, yes, you yeah. did say they could my have, pick for their yeah. one overall pick. And they ended up making the playoffs. Now, yeah. Is it the worst situation when they got absolutely blown out and shelled in the playoffs and whatever? But I did see the comment that don't, Howie Rose. Don't try to excuse it. I'm not going to excuse it. It was bad. Not as bad as yours. I mean, your I'm not excusing mine away. My poop. <laughs> your your Meyer one was fucking bad. All right. Uh, that was a great question. Appreciate it. I need that. to go. I need to go uh, to Urban's restaurant in Columbus and ask what happened. Let's go tonight. Well, the Urban Ooh. Meyer take isn't necessarily wrong depending on what lens you look through, right? Like from a content and an entertainment perspective, it was a great hire. You know, you know what we need to do? Thinking about the tailgate tour next year. Week one's obviously the Notre Dame heading to the the horseshoe in Ohio State. We need to we need to record a podcast from Urban Meyer's bar. Deal. We need to go all that. in. However, whatever we got to do, we have to record a podcast from there. I am all in. All right. Let's book it. Let's book it. We'll get Dave. Who I I got to shout out David Sofaro, who was formerly an intern on this show. That you he called was, an intern. He was an intern on the show, like when he first started at PFF, and now he's been since promoted to a full time public relations manager here at PFF, and does all the interviews that we book for this show, including the interviews on today, JoJo Doman and Lasita Smith. Fantastic guy. I apologize to call him still an intern, but Dave, we'll talk to Dave and see what we can do about this Columbus bar. Uh, I'm excited about it. Maybe when we get Urban Meyer to show up. Who fucking knows? Um, yeah, I think my worst take was anything I said about the Eagles, but I also probably had some bad draft takes, anything. I mean, there's a lot of bad takes out there. Yeah. Take the pick. What's next? Uh, this next one is from Riley Loveless, I believe. Let's see what Riley has to say. Sounds like a porn name. Boys, it's full depression season. It's a <laughs> shitty part of winter. College football's just finished. Pro football's coming to an end. Baseball's nowhere to be seen. I don't give a shit about basketball, and my hockey team's been unwatchable for the better part of the last 10 years. So this got me thinking. What is, considering all major sports, the worst city to be a fan of all of those sports teams? Wow. I personally think it's Minnesota, but if you're a Jets and Mets fan, probably a Knicks and Rangers fan. You're probably pretty miserable. I would say Atlanta was in the running, but the Braves really screwed that one up could be anybody what's your guys's opinion i think you have to immediately rule out atlanta i appreciate the question by the way but i think you have to rule out atlanta especially because like i mean the braves just won and you said the bulldogs yeah yeah i I think with the i kind of like the knicks jets mets because if you're a jets fan you're not a giants fan and you've seen the success the giants had in those two super bowls late like obviously the giants are shit now but like that matters right it matters that they're in a big city and they have like it's ample resource and there is this expectation to be good and then right across the way you have more competitive teams right the Brooklyn Net- Nets have been I don't know if you're I guess if you're a Knicks fan you're probably not a Nets fan if you are a Knicks Mets Jets fan that fucking stinks and I don't follow hockey but I don't think the Rangers have been that good either I think that has to be the worst city or in consideration Cincy since he just won their first playoff game since 1991 and they don't have a basketball team they don't have a hockey team and their baseball team also stinks I, and, I do, I do and think. FC Cincinnati is the laughing stock yeah. of the MLS. That's right. That's Not right. that I'm a huge soccer fan, but it's bad. 
I will say though, Minnesota, so Minneapolis, Timberwolves are a joke. Like they've yeah. been a joke since KG left. Like horrendously, maybe the worst franchise in the NBA, or if not close. The Vikings. Now the thing is, the Vikings have been competitive over the years. They're not like hapless. They're not, you know, they're not like what the Browns have been for a while. But they also haven't won a championship. Yeah. So they're up there, and the Twins haven't won since like the '90s. So they're up there in terms. of I think Minnesota's a great take. Plus, like the living, I always factor probably, in like I where know. you live, right? Minnesota yeah. probably stinks. And it's yeah, and that's the thing. It's like when you're in, just knowing him growing up in Wisconsin. When you're there, you are everyone's sports fans because that's like all you got. You don't have too much else. Like it, so, everyone lives and dies by it. And so, to live and die by it, teams like that Minnesota's had is kind of it's good. It's kind of shit. Can I throw out one more? Mm-hmm. Yes, Seattle. No. Russ is getting ready to leave. They want us. The Kraken stink. The Mariners stink. Their basketball team got taken away. Getting your basketball team taken away is a low key. I do think a factor has to be like the teams you have, right? Like that's why I think Cincinnati is in play. Bengals haven't won shit. Reds haven't won shit in a long time, and they don't have a basketball team. They don't have a hockey team. But they Seattle drafted Kevin Durant, and now they have to watch him be Kevin Durant. That's true. I I think they've won a Super Bowl too recently. If it's just teams you have, Jacksonville. Oh, I guess that's all they got. That's true. And the Jaguars stink. And they're not good. That's not a bad take either. Not a bad take either. Um, I guess maybe hope has to be involved. Let's get the next one. These have been good questions. Voicemails out here fucking showing up. Yeah, I like that one. Thank you, Riley. Uh, Let's let's go Key Lime Fred. Oh, he's back. Hey, fellas. It's Key Lime Fred once again. (laughs) This week, I got something for each of you. We're going to start with Renna. How dare you? Tell me two weeks ago that if the tits get the number one seed, then Mike Frabel is your coach of the year. And then one week later, you go on the podcast and say that your award for coach of the year is tied between Lafleur and Vrabel. You went back on your word. You technically got it. And for that, you're in the Key Lime doghouse. It's dark and it's cold out there. Good luck, bitch. (laughs) Mr. Mustache, I appreciate your support of my tits. You clearly see that this offense is top-heavy and the defense is deep. That's the formula. That's the Super Bowl-winning formula. It's going to happen. The train's going straight to the top, which leads me to Quinn. I hope you enjoy this week because on Saturday, you're getting your ass popped. (laughs) Season's over, bitch. (laughs) Oh, man. I think you are kind of a bitch for that coach of the year thing. A tie is as good as a win. No. Brett Favre and Barry Sanders tied for the MVP in, what, 1997? Do we we say that Brett Favre only has two MVPs, two and a half MVPs? No, tie is as good as a win. For I awards. disagree. I think right now, if you look at betting odds, I think he's minus 400 to win it. And Matt LaFleur is like, I think it was 98 at the time. Matt LaFleur is like plus 250. So I do think uh, Rabel ultimately does win it. Now, I don't know. Things could change if he gets blown out by the Bengals this week. And I knew Keyline Fred was yeah, going to well, be a Coach rival of the year's, for you, Coach of the Year's a regular season. They don't, it's already done. Oh, really? I think so. I think all of the stuff is. Okay. Yeah. Well, then, Quinn, Keyline Fred's a rival. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm glad that he called honestly, because like if there's a Bengals tits matchup to go to the AFC Championship game and he doesn't say anything with as much tits love as he's gotten this year, yeah. like yeah. I'd be pretty disappointed. So I think he you. might have had the same password yeah. as you did as a football <laughs> research intern, <laughs> tits sixty nine. Um, I don't think he had a question for me. He just appreciated me, which I I agree. I I, I agree with the appreciation. Next one. Uh, all right, we got two more. I have a great question for you guys now, Austin. I'm gonna need you to put your 
position discrimination to the side for a moment. Okay, I don't need to hear about how you love quarterbacks and want to take them to bed and how you think running backs should be taken behind the barn and shot. I don't need to hear that. <laughs> but I want to know if you guys would rather have an elite, low-value player, like a guard, defensive tackle, off-ball linebacker, or a mid-tier, high-value player, like a receiver, a corner, an edge rusher. Now, like I said, quarterbacks and running backs don't apply because I don't need to hear the mustache monkin talk about this again. Uh, and then my, my last question was, I really wanted to know if I could hear Mike's thoughts on Jalen Hurts' future with the Eagles. And <laughs> I really you. wanted to know, Austin, what, what you think the Washington football team could do to really build around Taylor Heineke and really get that franchise moving forward. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. Bye. I think I think so. The answer is first question. I think his second question is obviously a longtime listener of the show. Appreciate that. I think it's I think I don't want I would rather have a mid-tier corner off the tackle. Now, pass rusher is where I do think I'd rather have an elite low value player like a DT or an interior offensive lineman over a mid-tier pass rusher, but like offensive tackle or corner, like getting mid-tier production, I would th- say is more valuable than a low-value DT. See, to me, it, it depends very much on what position we're talking about here. Yeah. Um, and, like, what that would be. I, I just kind of in vacuum. I would lean the elite player because I think you want to chase, like, at the high-value positions, for me being wide receiver cornerback after quarterback, being, like, the most valuable. And then, obviously, offensive tackle – then pass rusher being up there like mid-tier is fine but you want to chase high end at those positions too receiver you know for like sure yeah like you want to chase jamar chase like you, you want to chase that guy that can win on one like look what the Packers is doing with little one wide receiver mm-hmm. that can get open like that can be your passing offense i, I think for me you, though it's it's these so. attacking positions these yeah. like so wide receiver so and edge yeah yeah for wide receiver and edge these are creators and you need elite, those are premium positions, and you need elite players to exactly. win. Whereas with corner and tackle, those are positions where you're just trying to prevent loss. Yeah. Like you're trying to not lose consistently. Whereas mid-tier, I think you can get away with, right? Like having a mid-tier corner, there are teams in the NFL that would pray for one mid-tier corner, let alone yeah. you know a handful. And I think same for offensive tackle. I think that's why OT go. corner, I think I take the mid-tier. But if, if it's pass rusher or wide receiver, you have to chase eliteness. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it in that. Um you want like three mid-tier corners over one very good corner, and you want one very good wide receiver, three mid-tier wide receivers, exactly. probably. Yeah. Uh, last one. Yep, last one. What's up, guys? I'm sitting down to watch Monday Night Football, and I just can't even fathom that Eric Weddle is going to start at safety for this game. And I was thinking, I got a little bit of a spicy take here, and I want to fire it off and get your guys' opinion. Let's go. But if Eric Weddle plays this game and finishes this game, should he not be comeback player of the year? I mean, if you told me at the beginning of the year, Dak was going to come back strong, Joe Burrow was going to come back strong, uh, anybody else who got hurt was going to come back strong, J.J. Watt would get hurt midseason and forced to come back and make a big deal about it, and he would come back strong, sure, I'd believe all that. If you would have told me Eric Weddle would come back and play in the playoffs... I would have told you you were high and Eric Weddle retired three years ago. Um, So I think if he completes this game tonight, and especially if they go on a run or if he does anything, he should be a lock for comeback player of the year. Um, 
Let me know your thoughts. Thanks. I mean, he'd need to have, I mean, I don't want to like completely throw this out the window. I don't think he'll ever, he's not going to win it, but like he'd have to have like six picks in the postseason. But like you said, I think a lot of these awards are locked up, right? I will say it's unfair that quarterbacks get deference in this award when like Phil Rivers played a game without an ACL. Like it's like not a position that you need, like you break your ankle, you come back, say you've lost a step physically in terms of running. It's, it's not like affecting your performance. Whereas, you know, Adrian Pierce, Taylor's ACL comes back over to 2K or like a position player comes back. And this looks is good. a good point. I'm trying to think of like who got hurt last Cam year Akers. at a position and come back. That, yeah, that, that one, but like a, an injury where it should affect you, like Trent Williams in 2020 comes back from not playing, comes back. Like that should, that to me is far better. You're actually using that physicality of football and like you're the rehab and recovery that you're doing is far more impactful to your performance than quarterbacks and the quarterbacks get it because they're the names too like even if yeah. they play like shit coming back they're still going to get it so no that's a, i think that's actually a good point and like has it's me unfair has me thinking more about like nick bosa this year i think nick bosa's third and comeback player of the year odds behind yeah. dak prescott and Joe Burrow. That's, but like, that's good nick bro i mean nick bro <laughs> nick bosa comes back and like if he's not 100 percent healthy he's poop Whereas with Burrow and Dak, you can play through injuries. We've seen that from different quarterbacks and stuff like that. So I, I think it's not a bad point. And honestly, you have me on the Nick Bosa comeback player of the year train. There you we go. need to have, start a conversation, start some discourse. The, the freaking voicemails every single time are fantastic. Appreciate everyone who leaves the voicemails. If you want to leave a voicemail, go to speakpipe.com slash tailgate or check out the link in our podcast descriptions on Apple, Spotify, wherever it may go. Shall we get into the normal mailbag? Normal mailbag. Let's go. Uh, what did you just say? I said, let's go. I said with the weird just continue. <laughs> this is from Ben Covey on Apple Podcast. Does Rich Basaccia deserve consideration for assistant coach of the year? Not sure that an interim head coach is allowed to win it, but he's the first interim coach to take a team to the playoffs since the 60s, I think. And not to mention all the off-field stuff he had to deal with, etc. Seems like even he isn't their coach of the future. He definitely held his own in the game management all the close games down to the stretch and deserves some sort of recognition of the level of success he got from them. Cheers. My opinion on that is have to, have to give tip your hat and like give him credit. I think there there has been a lot of credit in Bisaccia's way, right? I think a lot of media, a lot of analysts, and even players, you have players coming out with quotes saying Gruden would have drove us into the ground towards the back half of the season. Bisaccia allowed us to like, you know, skip some practices if we felt unhealthy and that kind of stuff. Like, Versace, I think, tip your cap to him. I don't think you give him coach of the year, right? Because, like, there are a lot of decisions he just didn't make. Like, they didn't, like, he didn't come in and change the offense, take over play calling, change the defense, take over play calling. It's like, no, all he did was, Greg Olson, you're still calling plays without Gruden over the top. And even when Gruden was there, you know, Gus Bradley had complete control of the defense. So I don't think, I mean, I'm not... I'm not trying to come up here and be like, Rich Versace doesn't deserve shit. But like, I don't think you should win Coach of the Year. I think it's more important. Like, you did have you see, you Coach of the that? Year is an off-season decision award. Like, who you hire as offense coordinator, who hires defense coordinator, who you bring in, all that shit. Like, I think a lot of the decisions happen on all that stuff, not just so much you know, like game management within the last. Did you few see weeks. the thank you notes though that he wrote? I texted you the thank you notes. That helps. That, that, that helps. I texted Renner Quinn. I don't know if you saw this. I think you'd have a good take on this. So, Rich Versace, there's like a picture of him like hunched over a table scribbling with a fucking pen um thank you notes to every player and someone tweeted out it's like wow rich Passaccia putting in the effort to write out hand notes to his players if he did that i'd fire him on the spot that's such a waste of time that's a waste of time 
what are we talking about here? You should be studying for next next year, <laughs> that prepping for your interview. He's literally right now, as we record this, Wednesday at 5.30, sitting Still down with Mark notes. Davis, oh. sitting down with Mark Davis <laughs> and interviewing for head coach. And he probably spent two hours writing fucking handwritten notes to 90 players that he played for him. That's just too much. Type them out. You can still be thoughtful without writing it with a pen. You know he probably types with just both his index fingers. Have a fucking intern do it. I don't care. I, it just doesn't make any sense to me. It feels like a waste of time. And I don't think the players care. I don't know, though. I could be an asshole. <laughs> uh, what's your thoughts on Versace, though? Oh, I mean, they went 7-5. and five. It's just that's a tough sell for me. That's fair. That is fair. All I got it on the screen. Versace. Oh, there he is. Look at him. See, this is the thing. Like, I, I, don't, I just can't. Um, I just can't. I can't get on board with that. He's in he a seals it. What is he wearing? Is that a gray, full gray suit? I don't know, man. What if he... The pro move is to do what you said. You type it out, but then you hand sign every letter. So it's kind of both. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like, oh, I took the time to actually like put my John Hancock on there. Do you think but he... you streamlined your process. Do you think he puts on lipstick and then kisses the the letter to really give it that personal touch? No. Okay. Just this is a thought. <laughs> All right, let's get to the next question. That is incredible. That is incredible. Uh, on to the next question I have here. This is from Garrett Persecci on Spotify. That's nowhere. That's not how you pronounce it, I'm guessing. I don't care. Okay. Thoughts on Kirk Herbstreet's comments about today's players who opt out not loving football. Would love your opinions and Renner's mom. Give her Packers shareholder take as well. Oh, yeah, What's your mom, what would your mom opinion be on players opting out of bowls? She don't think so. I don't love football enough, honestly. She's a, she's a purist. So, no. Um, I, okay, I have, a, I have a number of thoughts on this. I, I don't think Kirk, what Kirk Herbstreit said was quite right. Um, I, I do think they love football. I think it's the messaging to these kids that I have a problem with. That is why you see these decisions. That The messaging being that money uh, is the most important thing. It is the only factor in decisions like this that need to be made. Um, and that's not, like I said, that's not necessarily the kid's fault. That's like us as a culture's fault, saying that like that's all that matters. And college football in general, like with their prioritization of not player safety and money at all costs with expanding the playoffs and all these other things. It's like, how can you not think that money is the only thing that matters at that point? So I, I think it's these, like I said, I have a problem with that messaging because just my own my life, seeing other people's lives, I, m money is not all that matters in life. There are far more important things. Um, and I'm not blaming anyone who does make a financial-based decision, and this is far more money than I have or probably will have that's on the line for a lot of these guys. But I do think that, like, like I said, the sort of messaging of do what's best for your just financial future is the only thing to take into account in these situations is not what it should be. Um, and that they should do shit what they want. Like they should, if you want to play a football game, if you want to go out and have fun, go play a football game. There are other av avenues for you, especially with NIL now that you can like be in touch with an agent before you even graduate. You can take out insurance policies. You can have them pay for your insurance policies that cover stuff like that. Yeah. Like there are other avenues that don't get talked about. We just say opt out so you can go play. And again, I don't think it's because guys don't love the game as much as because they've been told money is all that matters to these, to you. Only you're, you know, go chase the money. When, like I said, that's cult that's our that's our fault. My my official take is any any player that opts out of the bowl games does not 
not love football. I mean, they're just making a decision, right? They're making yeah. decisions. They're they're doing it because they do love football and they want to play it in the fucking NFL and they want to play it for money and they want to play it for a long time. But I mean, I agree with you that it does. It's ultimately their call. And like, if they weigh all their options, weigh the insurance policy, weigh what they can do here, there, and there, and they still want to opt out, then they opt out. And if they don't, then they don't. Like like the biggest thing needs to happen is that they need to be educated on. And, and like given proper advice on like what are the actual opportunity costs right if you play this is what could happen if you don't take out insurance policy if you don't play this is what could happen right i think they just need to be i mean that's just what ultimately needs to happen it's ultimately their call now like i said whatever call they make fuck off it's whether they like football or not it's they're making their call it's yeah. not your choice who cares ronnie whitehouse on spotify why is tackling so bad in the NFL? Players lead with shoulder slash head instead of arms, and smaller players hit above the waist instead of legs. Um, I, I guess I don't think it's necessarily like it's not worse than college tackling, but I do think that it is that way, or that like not everyone is great at tackling because these guys were the best athlete on the field literally every single level they played football they could tackle however the hell they wanted and still get, bring bring down ball carriers you know like in high school a lot of these guys in college as well like it didn't matter if their form stunk they were getting the job done because they're freaks and like we say that a lot with some of these prospects who are projects that like produce it's like they didn't have to refine their technique to be good at football and so they didn't and they got at the nfl and all of a sudden you have to so i think that's a part of it but I, I would push back that it's like that bad in terms of form like especially like again when you look at other levels nc lions fan 23 on apple podcasts mike often references not overvaluing seniors who all of a sudden dominate as a senior they are bigger and stronger because they're in the program longer and uh, so he writes that but you also say that because they're older right it's so like literal like physical maturity of yeah. your body yeah. does hutchinson fall into this category is Thibodeau better for that reason I mean, he does. He's a senior. So, yes, he does. Uh, but I think it's tough. And and also, that's like why if he would have played like this as a junior, you would be talking, there wouldn't be a debate, you mm -hmm. know? Like, if this would have been his 2020 season instead of 2021, no one's no one's having that debate over, this would be like Chase Young. It would just be talking about, yeah, he's that dude. But he's unique for two reasons. One, he got hurt in 2020 he only played 149 snaps only two really really two games and so we didn't see if like towards the end of the season he was going to put on tape of this caliber and he was pretty damn good you know through those two games still like we were we were calling him a top 30 player heading into the season it's not like that's jump change and then two he changed his body type it was almost um josh allen-esque i'll say the pass rusher josh allen coming out of kentucky who he was a senior when he was coming out still ended up top 10 pick to where he put on like 20 pounds and was a different player going from junior to senior year. Hutch drops 20 pounds and is a different player going from junior to senior year. So I think that has to be factored in. But again, we're not talking about him like we're talking about Nick Bosa. We're not talking about him like we're talking about Joey Bosa, Chase Young, these top-tier edge rushers that have come out in the past. Miles Garrett, because of that, because those guys are juniors and because Hutch is a senior. Despite the, like tape at times looking like that for sure. Mm -hmm. I think the other thing, because he mentions Thibodeau, Thibodeau is only four months younger yeah they're both born in the year 2000 and aiden hutchin was born in august 2000 Kevin thibodeau was born in december 2000 so thibodeau it's like the philosopher 
the philosopher. <laughs> some of his some of his interviews have been wild, man. He's he's an opinionated guy. He's a cool guy. I want to get him on the show. Bitey Mike on Apple Podcasts. Whoever loses TikTok challenge should sign up for an online class at the other's university. Winner picks the class. Mike, make Austin take interpretive dance if you win. Ooh. So I don't I, I like that, but at the same time, I'm not gonna fucking drive to Notre Dame and you're not gonna or I guess it's online, online class. Online interpretive dance. Can you even do it? that? I don't think you can. They, they do wouldn't that. just let you. Brady Quinn wouldn't let you take class. No, no. Day. Oh, I'm doing it now. I'm doing it. <laughs> I'm doing it now. I'm gonna do it. I don't care if I win or lose the TikTok challenge. I'm going just to enroll to at an online class in Notre Dame, and I'm gonna call myself a golden donor to Brady Quinn. <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. Fucking write it down. I'm gonna look it up. If I can get accepted into Notre Dame and take a unit, a class, I fucking will. I will. <laughs> That's actually. Yeah, I took. Uh, oh, here's what I'll say. Yeah, I graduated from San Diego State, but I took. What is it called? Those classes, like oh, um, upper graduate or graduate classes at Notre Dame. I don't have to say I graduate with them, Just or I got a master's, classes. but I took graduate classes at Notre Dame. People are like, oh wow, how was that? That was fucking good. <laughs> I'm doing it. I'm looking it up as soon as I get home. That's gonna happen. Uh, I'm gonna be a Golden Domer. I'm, you and I are gonna be so similar. <laughs> All right, this is from Bear May. Chop it up. Talk about our old times. <laughs> Back in the bookstore, dome. basketball, bookstore basketball. Man, Bear May three monetize each of TikToks. And loser gives it to the other person or a charity of winner's choice. See, I, I think you have a high idea of how much money we can make on our TikToks. Yeah, how, yeah. How yeah. much, how many followers are going to get? It's here. not going to happen. But it's not going to be that much. I mean, um, unless I start, you know who did follow me on TikTok? Who? Your ex. Oh, which one? The one that cries on TikTok. Oh. No, don't bring that dude, one. Dude, there's so now I see her TikToks. I scroll through them. She's like crying on. They're, they're rough, dude. Those I gotta start doing more of that stuff. I gotta start doing more of that stuff. She vlogs now. She's Does she vlog? Now. Yeah. On TikTok? Yeah. I respect it. Honestly, I can't. I can't. I can't debate. It. I respect it. I don't know if I, I don't know about those ones. I, I, the monetization one, we're not going to make enough money. No. Um, no. I'd rather the classes, do the classes one. I, I mean, I would go out to San Diego. I'll be yeah, honest. Oh, but swear. I am not. Not about higher education anymore. I'm off that train. So I'm taking we, classes in Notre Dame more just because I'm going to solicit I'm, more ideas. And I need to post a TikTok too, to be honest. But I'm going to take class at Notre Dame and I'm going to send a DM to Brady and say, hey, man, fellow Golden Domer, <laughs> can we do anything? <laughs> I'll never forget. I'll he never forget. I will literally him. never forget the first time I fucking meet him at the combine. Yeah. He I stares remember. me up and down, my hobbit ass. And he's like, where'd you go to school? I was like, San Diego State? He's like, okay. And then like literally turns back to you. It was you were just, invisible. I was that. invisible. I was literally invisible. All right, this is from Chick from Campbell, which is obviously a longtime listener of the pod. They know. <laughs> Stetson Bennett and Bryce Young are nearly the same size. Is that true? Mm-hmm. Stetson Bennett's that small? Bennett's smaller. Really? Yeah. Yeah, Bennett isn't mentioned as a draft-worthy QB. QB. I don't know why I said it like that. Why is size an issue for one and not the other? That's a question I've been asking for a long time. I know Bryce is way more talented, but biggest knock on Bennett is his size. I would argue the biggest knock on Bennett is his performance, to be honest. But yeah, um, it's definitely not just his size. It's it's more when you don't perform well, and we've talked about this at the quarterback position, especially guys like you know Keaton Slovis who don't have tools, and like Joe Burrow who wasn't considered like a prospect. Until he started playing elite football, you know, like when you don't have tools, no, there's not this, or at least right or wrong, there's not this perceived growth avenues to where like his arm is not big. So like, where does he fit it? Like you're already, you're just like knocking off all, you're ticking all these limitation boxes where it's like, okay, he's not going to be able to attack down the football field in the NFL at 5'11". 
you know, reading defenses, seeing over the line, like starts to get a legitimate, be a legitimate thing at that size. When you're 180 pounds, injuries are a real risk. You know, like you're hitting all these tick boxes that are limiting you. And so you can, you know, hand wave those away when the guy plays elite football. But when you've seen him for five years at Georgia and he's never played in anything borderline close to that, there's just not that. They're just the NFL doesn't see avenues for growth. Like I said, right or wrong, maybe there is. Maybe he turns into fucking Joe Burrow next year. No one knows. But he's not going to get that chance because there doesn't because the track record of guys who are sort of in that mold, it's not good. Can we just be happy if he peaked? I mean, Stetson Bennett. Yeah, had a, I don't think Bennett's too worried right now. <laughs> that guy, that guy peaked, bro. That yeah. guy is. No, nah, I'm not. I mean, obviously, you want him to have success in the NFL, whatever, whatever his dreams are. But man, he's not had a bad run at it. This has yeah. been a good. It's been a good football career for Stetson Bennett, yeah. all things considered. He's going to be on the radio in Athens and own a couple restaurants Dude. and make six figures a year for the rest exactly. of his life. Exactly. Exactly. I, I and Which that is, is that a bad gig? Is that a, is that a, a, is that's, that a low floor? Some might say that's the best gig. Exactly, that like, might be better than going to the NFL. Football, not yeah. having any sort of consequences. That's what your job is. Like, yeah, <laughs> can't break your collarbone doing that. <laughs> this is from you can. I'll try. This is from Kenny D three four two nine. Malik Willis is the best QB prospect in this class. Period. He's coming in and having takes. This is Kenny D three four two nine. His athleticism raises his floor, and he has highest upside. This motherfucker might be a scout. I'm not saying Lamar, but I could see a similar situation. What am I missing? Missing a job offer, if you ask me. This guy's got some takes. All right. So, everyone, so like one, accuracy is an issue, footwork's an issue. Like, he has a lot to clean up and like pure project and like, yeah, highest upside in terms of athleticism, arm. And like, everyone's going to bring up Josh Allen. So, I kind of just want to say, like, everyone brings him up and like, oh, Zach Wilson could be Josh Allen. Oh, this guy, that guy could be Josh Allen. Josh Allen. We all could be Josh Allen. Josh Allen, people need to know Josh Allen's backstory. He was six foot three, 180 pounds coming out of high school. He was from a town of 8,000 people in Central California. What town? He, oh, it was like Firesburg or something. Fires, I can't remember. I'll take a look. Oh, Fireball. Fireball. There you go. He did not focus on football. He played basketball, was their league's world basketball team, was a pitcher on the baseball team, did not go to like seven on seven camps. He was a three sport athlete who then went to. Reedley Junior College before going to Wyoming for three years and was drafted at 21 years old. He had no point he had good coaching. You know, like that's what I'm saying is like he had no point had quarterback development in his background at a any sort of what anyone would call like high level and never played like competition that was anything like the NFL and what he saw there. And so for him to improve upon stuff, like there were legitimate reasons why he looked raw as hell at Wyoming. Now, he lost to San Diego State in the Mountain West Championship 2016. Malik Willis is from just outside of Atlanta. He went to Westlake High School that has over 2,000 kids. It's in the largest division in football. They played in the state finals there. They had Pac-Man Jones, Cam Newton, A.J. Terrell went there. He went to a program that like develops you as a football player. He spent two years at Auburn, three years at Liberty. He's 22, going to turn 23 after he's drafted. He doesn't have as many excuses for like why this guy might be raw technically. Now, not to say that like he won't develop more, and he will. He definitely will develop more. But it's like Josh Allen was a project that could actually be fixed because there was never no one ever tried to fix him. You know, multiple like Malik Willis has had. I just assume now. I you know don't know for sure. Obviously, Auburn fucking chose Bo Nix over him, so I don't know what they are doing from at the quarterback position. But like. 
he had more of an opportunity there. I'm just so that's that's kind of why I, I when everyone says is he the next Josh Allen, well, like show me a guy who like really never played quarterback ever before, and then I'll like that was Josh Allen, who is also six foot three. Like also Malik Willis is also, small, yes, right? Yeah, also six five, two forty. It like actually legitimately grew into a monster, whereas Malik Willis is still six one. That's still going to be an issue. Yeah. I think that was a well thought out answer, Mike. And honestly, to respond to Kenny D three four two nine like that, who came in hot, I mean, I think he's going to respect it. No, I, 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 that's not to say that Malik Willis is not, but I, but I've seen just a lot of people like say, you know, Josh Allen was inaccurate. You're one. It's like, show me what's the reason why he's inaccurate. Like, what, what about him is inaccurate, and then we can talk. I also don't think you can understate the size, like the size yeah. of Josh Allen and like the arm talent yes. of Josh Allen's just a totally different ball game. Yeah. And Malik Willis is as a runner at, at that good. Like mm-hmm. he's as good as Josh Allen, if not better as a runner. Like he has pure rushing ability. I would spend, if he said he wanted to switch to running back, I would spend probably like a third or fourth round around him as a running back. Like that's how good he is as a running back. But you also need to pass where, where, where's Malik Willis currently positioned on the big board in the 50s? um he's in the 40s 40s this is from Obungalu on Apple Podcasts what are the top tier players in the 2023 draft way too early top five maybe go ahead okay I, I just gave you a top I'm gonna run through like top at every position here that I've kind of seen let's do it quarterback Bryce Young from Alabama Durr Heisman wide receiver Kishon Booty from LSU maybe Jack Smith and Jigba from I think it's Boutet Boutte. Oh, yeah. Sorry, it is. Boutte. Jack Smith and Jigba. Those guys are probably top training wideouts. Running back B. John Robinson, Texas. Uh, love that dude. Tight end Michael Mayer, Notre Dame. Also love that dude. Close from uh, Cubcath down the road here. Offensive tackle Peter Skaronsky, Northwestern. Remember the name. Next great Northwestern tackle. Hard not to. That's an amazing name. Um, I think he's probably going to be OT1. Cooper Beebe on the interior offensive lines. Ken State offensive tackle. Probably going to play in the interior. Liked his tape, came back to school. Defense side of the ball, Will Anderson's obviously your edge one, Alabama edge. Jalen Carter, defense tackle from Georgia, is probably your DT one. Linebacker Noah Sewell, Penny Sewell's brother. Hashtag fun to watch tape for certain. Cornerback, I'm not super certain on this one. I know that Keely Ringo from Georgia, Eli Ricks, who transferred from LSU to Alabama, have been good. I, I don't love, love either's tape yet. But I think those are going to be a top of your cornerback class. And then safety. Jordan Battle came back to school from Alabama. It's going to be your de facto safety one heading into next year. So there you have it. Every single position. Bijan Robinson is awesome. I'm excited for Bijan Robinson. Next year's running back class is 2017 esque. Is that the McCaffrey Fournette year? I think so. 2017 esque. I hope that there's a um, booty versus Sewell like debate so it can be. LSU wide receiver or mm. a Sewell, That's you know, good. yeah, for you just just run it back. You know yeah. what I'm saying? We need that. No Sewell. Hashtag fun to watch. All right, this is from Deegs Baseball. Sam Howell, Carson Strong, or someone else for the Steelers. I like Strong because arm and accuracy, but unsure with the injury concerns. He's also not mobile. I think that's the biggest thing with Carson Strong is bringing up was in this class where there are guys that can move. Carson Strong is a is a pocket guy. One, I cannot believe they kept. Matt Canada, or are planning to keep Matt Canada? That one blew my effing mind, honestly. That it's, but honestly, I like the idea of strong. If you're not gonna, if you're not gonna trade for one, and you're kind of picking where they are in almost the no man's land, strong is gonna fall. Strong is not gonna go in the first round. He had 
in his knee. What was it? He had a, like a dead bone in his knee that had to be cleared out in high school, his senior season. Um, that's like a degenerative issue that just like doesn't get better. So his knee is like effed. He's got a bad knee, a bum knee, as you if you will. So people will probably will ha- see that, not have him on the board. But with the game he plays, not mobile at all. He's statue, like I said. He's almost, I think, comp in the draft guides, Ryan Mallett with touch. It's kind of how he plays the game. But that means you can get that at a discount if a lot of people will not be willing to take that take that bet. So like strong in round three, if that's the you know, Steelers plan, I would not hate instead of QB round one. But obviously, you know, my thoughts, Sam Howell's current QB one. So that would be nice too. What do you think of Kenny Pickett? Kenny Pickett's where a lot of people are mocking him right now. I mean, he obviously could play in that stadium. <laughs> He's, he showed that. I mean, that's the thing. Playing at the cold. Um, yeah, I, I, I love Pickett's tape going back and watching, but I, I think the Steelers are going to trade for one, honestly. Yeah. I, that, I, I was asked by – who was it? Someone asked me on the social team, asked me to give, give me who you believe the quarterback for the Steelers will be next year. And I, I said Kirk Cousins. Wow. Wow. I think a lot of Steelers fans would rather have Kenny Pickett. Let's get uh, to trivia and then the interviews with Lasita Smith, the Virginia Tech guard, and JoJo Doman, the Nebraska slot corner. But let's start with trivia, Mac. All right. Perk wants to I just know. just called you Mike. I always called you Quinn. Quinn, give us the triv. Yeah, that is weird. That's like the first time I've heard you call me Mike, at least in a really long time. Um, but Perk wants to know. Bengals snapped record-long playoff win drought. Uh, Raiders now have the third-longest active drought in the NFL. Who are the two teams above them? Detroit's got to be up there. Negative. Wow. Jacksonville. No. What? Because um, Jacksonville went to the AFC Championship no, game. I'm an, yeah, I'm an idiot. Know. Third longest. Blake the boat. Drought. So the Raiders are third longest, two teams above them. Uh, haven't won playoff games in that long. So the Raiders haven't won since. Oh, no, wait. Long. Lions are in there. I don't know why okay. I said oh, that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I was about to say, the Raiders last won what? Oh, five? Oh, oh, two. Oh, two? Shit. <laughs> that is a long time. Uh, yeah, All it is right, a long so time. So the Bills snapped theirs, the Browns snapped theirs. Um, Cute. No. Texans won recently. Yeah. They beat the Bengals. That's one of them. Uh, Twice. Yeah. Yates of hell. Gosh, it's been How about, that long. I think no. Lions won Fuck. this. I don't know. No, we're going to figure this one out. We could do better. Oh, wow. Just going through the divisions in my head. I mean, when's the last time Denver won one? Is, oh, it, God, is it the... Uh, I'm so dumb. I'm is so it dumb. the football team? Negative. Who is it? The Dolphins. Oh, 2001. Uh, 2000? One. 2001. Wow. wow. When's the last time football team won one? I don't know. I don't know. I do remember. That's one? a funny question because in the stadium in Cincy, when we lost, when the we when the Raiders lost, that guy who's screaming at me. If you listen to the Monday episode, there was a guy who's like screaming in my face the entire time. Mm-hmm. He holds up this big ass L, and he's like, 20 years. You're a loser." And mm-hmm. I was like, "What? What? What possessed this dude to come after me? Like I was not there on a scale of one to ten. On 10 being the biggest piece of shit I've ever been in the stadium, it was like a two. Like, yeah. I was not being an asshole because I was so cold and also, like, had a monster headache. But whatever, whatever. That guy was an asshole. Washington won one in 2005. Forgot that one. Forgot yeah. about that one. Technically, the football team's never won one and never will. Their name's changing. Yeah. 
All right, next one is from John Binner on Twitter. Binner? <laughs> he wants to know what NFL team has the most top 10 picks on their current roster with seven. Okay. Name them. Like that. Oh, if you can. shit. Team with the most top 10 picks. Seven top 10 picks. Man. I wanted to say Bucks. It's not the Bucks. Hmm. Who's drafting the top 10 a lot? I don't know if that matters, though. I don't know if that's the issue. It's true. Um, man, I know the Lions have four. I just thought of off the top. I don't of think my it's head. the Lions. No. Um, try it, though. They have got, I don't know. Lions? It's not the Lions, Lions. but um, their mascot is a big cat. Big cat. Jacksonville Jaguars? Is it the Panthers? It's the Panthers. Panthers have seven? Okay, so Sam Darnold. Yes. J.C. Horn. Yes. Uh, Stefan Gilmore. Yes. Derek Brown. Derek Brown. Yep. When was Shaq Thompson drafted? Was he a top 10? No. He was like 20s. Um, Christian McCaffrey? Christian CMC. McCaffrey. Yeah, it's five. Here we go. Yeah, two more. Who's our offensive line? They all stink. Yeah, they all no. stink. <laughs> DJ uh, Moore, was he top 10? No, he's no. in the 20s. No, one is very obvious. Fuck. Very oh, obvious. Brian Burns? Cam Newton. Cam Newton. Brian Burns is like 15. Uh, we'll get there. Is it one of the coaches? Deep cut? <laughs> no, it's not a coach. Was, no... I was thinking Hassan Reddick, but I think he was in the teens too. Recent pick. Recent. Do they have another top ten? We already got Derek Brown, JC Horn. Um, did they have a top ten? Did Brian Burns is the year before that? Yeah, I said Brian Burns. I don't think that's him. The year before that was top ten pick. I'm blanking on these. I don't know who is it. C.J. Henderson. Oh, we got oh, yeah. duh, that's a tough one. Wasn't that was their guy? Nice. That, was nice. that was nice. Top ten nice. pick. That was nice. That was there nice. You go. All right, last one. Who is the only team to not have a game in London yet? Packers. Yeah, I knew you'd be all over that one. Wait, they haven't played a game in London yet? I haven't played a game in London. Do you have a know your co-host? Oh, I do. Let's see. Uh, what was... This is a bad know my co-host. I don't know why I thought of this you one. You stink. Okay, so the most painful moment in my life was from what injury? Didn't you knock your teeth out one time? I did. That was not the most painful. That hurt, though. That had sucked. I heard knocking your teeth out can stink. Knock my front teeth out, yeah. Um, I want to say it was an ankle injury. No. I have had a bunch of ankle injuries, but I had hand, foot, and mouth disease, which led to me getting epididymitis, which you know what the epididymis is. It's, I don't, is that your throat? It's a, it's a small uh, oh. sac at the back of your testicles mm. that when it gets inflamed puts pressure oh no and i had like throbbing uh pain while i had epididymitis for like two days and i sneezed oh and i felt like my vision go dude it was so bad oh my god the worst pain i've ever had in my entire life that sounds terrible not even close not even close i can't even think of like the worst pain i've ever had i've like broken fingers before rolled ankles i can't think of like the single worst shot of pain yeah, that was 
Mine was what, what's my favorite episode of The Office. Oh, man. Okay. Let's see. You're, you're definitely of the hipster variety, so it's going to be one that's not necessarily funny. Um, oh, shut up. I'm going to go with, I don't know if, this is one that is my least favorite, so that's why I'm saying it's your favorite. The dinner party one? No, the dinner party one is good though. Okay. It's not my it's not my favorite. But I, I do that. think that is often said as like people's favorite. Okay, I hate that one. Mine mine is um what did I tell Max that my favorite episode was? I don't want to like mix it up. Oh, it's the one where um Michael Scott finds out Jan Levinson got a divorce and they have to sell that guy the chilies. That one's fucking phenomenal. It's a phenomenal piece. Do not remember at all. That is your know your co-host. Let's get to these interviews now. Lasita Smith, guard of Virginia Tech. And then we also have my guy, Jojo Doman of Nebraska. Now joining the Tailgate Podcast is Virginia Tech offensive lineman Lasitas Smith. Up there with probably the best name in this draft class. I also love your Zoom name says Lasita Smith hyphen football player. You're a football guy through and through. Yes, sir. Most definitely. <laughs> Great to have you on the show, man. Where I'd like to start, honestly, is um, really speak to your Virginia Tech career. Had an opportunity to really be a mainstay for them for four years at Virginia Tech. Over 350 snaps played in all four years, 2018, 19, 20, and 2021. Where would you say your game has improved the most over that period? And I guess how important was it to have that much experience, to have that many snaps played at Virginia Tech, obviously, as you go into this next portion of your football career heading to the NFL? Oh, man, I would say my game improved the most um, in the passing game. Mm -hmm. um, you know, of course, I, I feel like it improved a lot in the run game as well in the pulling game. But uh, just really perfecting, well, bettering my craft, I, I guess I should say, um, in the passing game and, you know, working on my sets a whole lot and hand placements and all and um, in the pulling game as well, working on that a lot. Um, last this past summer, you know, uh, before the season started, really helping me out a lot. Uh, those are two things I really, really wanted to focus on. I feel like it definitely improved from the uh, from the 2019 season, you know, uh, going into the 2022 season. I mean, the 2020 season. Um, um, or I'm sorry, the you know, from the uh, 2020 season to the 2021 season. I'm, I apologize about that. Oh, but, um, but um, yeah, I, those are two things I really wanted to work on. And I definitely feel like it showed on tape that I got better at those things. Uh, and now, you know, playing as many snaps as I played really, really helped with my confidence. Um, you know, I was a young guy starting out. I, I played a few. I think I played four games, four to five games, my red shirt freshman year. Um, you know, and if I go back and look at some films, like, oh, my stands really look like that. Oh, man, I, I really said like that. So, you know, just playing more and more snaps to just keep building my confidence and you know, me watching so much film and looking at myself and seeing on film, okay, I need to correct it. So I did that well, but I can, you know, perfect it. Um, it definitely helped, helped my confidence play as many snaps as I did. What's really impressive, too, about your career at Virginia Tech and, and something that PFF has, you know, contracts with, like, position and alignment played is you've almost played exclusively at left guard, right? Even at, even going back to your 2018 season, you have not bounced around. You talk to some linemen in college, they play left tackle, right guard, right tackle, all that stuff. However... This season against Richmond, you had a full game against at left tackle. Talk to me about that game and, and how fun it was to kind of step out of that left guard position. Man, it was that was a pretty cool game um, to me. Um, you know, me switching positions and moving over a spot and playing left tackle. I remember at the beginning of that week, um, I don't know if it was due to COVID or something like that. Uh, as for the reason of why my uh, coach, uh, Coach Vance Vice, 
you know, why he wanted to move me to left tackle. Mm-hmm. Um, but once he said it was happening, I'm sitting like, wow, wow, okay, I never played tackle before. So, you know, I really got to work on it. So that whole week, I was at tackle the whole time. I got a few reps at guard, but it was mainly tackle reps um, during practice. And, you know, that's what really had me ready to go. So um, come game time, I, I'm just in my mind like, okay, I've been doing it all week. You know, I've gotten a little bit of work at it uh, before the season started. So, you know, I went out there and gave him my best shot. That's awesome, man. I think you only had, according to PFF, only two pressures allowed at left tackle. Still a strong performance, despite, you know, one of the, one of the few times you had that opportunity. Um, now going into, I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about this pre-draft process. Going into this pre-draft process, I know you have plans going to the Senior Bowl, going down to Mobile, Alabama, and really testing your talents against some of the best defensive prospects in the country. How excited are you for that opportunity? And I guess, what part of that week are you most looking forward to? Man, I am thrilled to get down to Mobile. Um, like you said, just see how I match up with some of the top pros- uh, D-line prospects in the, in the country um, going into this draft. So, um, like I said, I'm definitely thrilled, definitely ready to put my, uh, you know, my talent on display for all, you know, for a lot of uh, a lot of teams to see at the next level. Um, and I-, I feel like I'm really ready for those those three practice days. Of course, that Tuesday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. I know that's pretty broad, but uh, really ready, really ready for um, all three days and ready for one on ones most definitely. Just you know, because I know that's a big part of it. So ready to just see how I match up with a, with a lot of big time guys. Talking to NFL teams, scouts and stuff, PFF obviously has relationships with all 32 NFL teams. They bring up all the time how important those one-on-ones are at those All-Star Bowls, whether it's the East-West Shrine Bowl, Hula Bowl, or the Senior Bowl. I'm glad you're honing in on that. Have you had any time? I know you're probably training every single day, every single hour, but have you had any time to turn on some tape for some of these guys that are going there, right? Like, have you gotten some opportunities to say, hey, that defensive tackle likes this move or this move? Are you watching tape on the guys you're going to go against? Yeah. So it's actually pretty tough, you know, it's tough to some guys think to really just get your hands on, you know, film and especially everybody's film. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we just really don't have access to that kind of stuff. But I've actually been working with a trainer um, away from Exos and, you know, he's doing a really good job of, you know, getting me some film and showing me some tape and um, just showing me different guys that are going to be at the senior bowl. So through him, I'm actually seeing, um, yeah, some of the guys I'll be going up against. And I am watching tape looking at, okay, this guy really loves to stutter stuff into a bull mm-hmm. or really loves to swim or, you know, uh, two-hand chop, like, you know, kind of into a euro. So um, I'm seeing, you know, different moves that D- D-linemen are doing, and I'm definitely, you know, picking up on that, seeing what's their go-to pretty much. And so you mentioned Exos. Are you in the Arizona area, Carlsbad? I know they're everywhere. Wh- which Exos are you at? Yes, I'm at uh, Exos in Pensacola, Florida. Gotcha, gotcha. The Florida, the Florida location probably doesn't suck either. They're in fair weather. They're in fair weather areas, regardless of which one you go to. How has that been so far? I talked to a lot of guys who are at one of the Exos facilities, and you know, obviously, pour, you know, pour a ton of praise on the trainers that are out there and and how that's going. But I think another big part of it too is you get an opportunity to meet some of these guys, right? Meet some of these other right. prospects and and build relationships with guys who are going through the same stuff as you. Right, right. Um, I mean, it's it's been great out here for me. It truly, truly has been. I love my you know, my housing, um, that I'm, that I'm staying in and, you know, uh, so that, and I know people may say, oh, you know, that doesn't really matter, but I mean, if I'm comfortable, then I can perform how I need to, you you know what I mean? So, um, like I said, I love where I'm staying. The facility isn't far away at all. 
Um, it's just across the bridge, you know, get off on the bridge and, you know, I, the facility is great. Everybody I'm working with firsthand, great. The uh, nutritionists all the way to the trainers and, you know, the PT staff, like they, 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 they really know what they're doing. They know what they're talking about and they're really going to take care of everybody. I noticed on Virginia Tech's side, I think you're listed at six foot three, three fifteen, and a lot of the times you go into these exos opportunities or these training opportunities, whether it be for the combine, the Senior Bowl, um, right. looking to either add weight or drop weight. Is there a certain goal weight you have in mind? Are you eating every hour of the day? Or are you actually trying to cut? Where? How's the diet stuff been going for you? No, so I, I'm actually um, I did put on a few pounds, um, but that was on purpose. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I definitely wasn't looking to cut weight. Um, 315 is probably the lightest I've ever played at. And, you know, I, I just thought to myself, I'm, I'm not trying to pack on 10, 15 pounds at all. <laughs> um, but considering the fact that I am going to the senior bowl and there are going to be, be some big beefy D tackles there. Um, I thought, okay, maybe I add on maybe five pounds. So I'm, I'm right around 320, um, right now. And that's pretty much where I want to be. I'm in that 320, 322 range. It's such a tough balance, right? Because a big part of your game when you turn on the film is explosiveness and firing out of your stance. But you got to get, you know, sometimes you want to get to this 320, 325 range to go against some of the beefier guys that will be down there at the Senior Bowl. It is a tough balance. Talking to, I mean, it is understated, under-discussed how hard it is for offensive linemen to play this weight thing, right? You know, because it's not as easy as, like, you have to get to the lowest weight for speed at receiver and stuff like that. For offensive linemen, you have to find this range where you do, you know, you do have perfect, you know, perfect explosiveness for what you want to be, but also enough Way to keep things going. I'm excited to see you down at the Senior Bowl. I want to go back a little bit to in season. We talked a little bit about how you've had opportunities to get film and, and watch some of these guys going to the Senior Bowl. But how about in season, right? When you know who you're going against, you know this opponent you're going against. What are your tendencies throughout the week, Monday through Saturday, when you turn on the film? What do you look for specifically, pre snap, post snap, all that stuff? Well, starting with pre snap, I usually like to watch film and look at guys' stances and just to see kind of, okay, if he put his left hand down, does that mean he's slanting right? Or, you know, vice versa? Uh, does he, I understand that usually when guys stagger their feet, they're slanting right or left. Um, if they have a square stance, they're probably trying to two gap and, you know, probably gonna try to stand you up and try to look in the backfield. Um, as far as when the ball is snapped, like I said, then I'll be able to tell if they, if they love to slant and see, okay, they, they, they like to walk, they love to blitz. So they'll walk a backer up off the edge and I know that they're, you know, everybody's going to pinch. So if we're running inside zone, I can't over-exaggerate with my lead step. Um, you know, those kinds of kinds of things, um, especially in, in, in the passing game. Um, like I said, it, it, is, is the guy I'm going against a big bull guy? Is, is he Does he love the bull rush? Does he love to spin? Does he love to swim? Um, is he more quicker than stronger? Um, because you do have guys that are, like, really, really quick, but don't have much weight behind them. So when the bull comes, it's not as effective. So... You know, I, I kind of get a feel for, you know, the guy I'm going against to know how I, okay, so I know I can't, I shouldn't really um, take a lateral set versus this guy. I don't really want to jump in front of him and try to jump him because he's quick and he might swim me. So all those kind of things are things I look for um, when I'm watching film. So, yeah, I look for all those kinds of things. Yeah, I think that makes sense. How about, do you ever have opportunities to go back, maybe in the offseason, watch film on yourself or even turn on film for NFL guys, right? Guards that you like or offensive linemen that you like that you kind of want to mirror your game after? Yeah, so um, I do watch um, I do watch film on myself sometimes. I haven't had much time to do it since I've been training. Um, but whenever I can, I do. And, um, you know, that's I, I feel like that's important because that's how you know 
oh man, you, you probably go back and look at something and maybe in the, in the moment you didn't know that was going on, but now it's like, you know, you sit back and you watch film and it's like, oh man, I really leaned in my stance like that. Or, oh, that punch was kind of late on that play. Or, you know, all my weight is shifted too far for you. It's, it's different things. And those are just examples, of course, but though it's just different things that you may pick up on that you didn't know was happening, that you were actually doing in the season. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so, but but as far as guys that I watch at the next level, I mean, I definitely try to turn on some, some and it is highlights, of course, so like I said, it's tough, um, but the only access I'd have, you know, to watch a film on the guys probably like getting on YouTube and trying to see if I could find Qu- uh, a film on guys like Quentin Nelson mm-hmm. or Wyatt Teller. I watch a good bit of his game and, you know, he's, He's kind of a guy like I love to model my game after. Gotcha, man. Well, we're going to have to get you set up with a PFF Ultimate subscription, man. PFF Ultimate allows you to dive into all this film. Maybe we can hook you up after the call. Um, last question last, last question for you, Lucidus, and I'll let you go. In this process, I think my favorite part of it is talking to guys about these interviews, right? You are going to be sitting down with every scout in the books, every GM, all these head coaches, and all asking the same questions. Do you love football? You know, what, what do you see on this play? What do you see on that play? I think my favorite one, though, is definitely – you know, what separates you in this class? What do you feel among the guards that are going into the NFL is the difference, right? What separates you from the other guys going into this draft? I think what kind of separates me uh, in this draft class, and uh, especially amongst like the other guards, is the the power that I the power that I snap off the ball with, and the mm-hmm. suddenness that I snap off the ball with. So I'm not a guy that's slow out of my stance. Um, whether it's inside zone, outside zone, I'm usually one of the first guys off the ball, you know, um, trying to snap onto my guy, trying to snap my head in the right spot. Um, so like I said, I feel like I come with some some power behind me, uh, but also that I, I feel like I'm really good on my feet. I'm nimble on my feet. Um, I don't have heavy feet or anything like that, so I can slide laterally pretty quick. So I'm not just a powerful guy or, you know, I pack a heavy punch and I'm, you know, kind of slow-footed and heavy. No, I feel like I'm a, I'm a really athletic offensive lineman that moves really, really well, that packs a punch, and uh, and that being in the run game and the pass game. So I feel like that's what separates me. I have some power behind me, but I'm also really athletic. Fantastic stuff, Lucidus. Really appreciate the time, and I wish you the best of luck moving forward. Yes, sir, thank you very much for having me. I hope you have a great one. Now joining is current Nebraska defensive back, JoJo Doman. We were talking a little bit about the national championship that played last night. What were your initial takeaways, man? Let's start there. Let's get your analysis of this game uh, watching it last night. Yeah, I thought it was a great game, you know, defensive defensive battle. Um, It was tough to see the Alabama receiver go down, and they kind of lost some uh, options on offense. But, I mean, hat off to Georgia. They wanted it. That's a – it's a team game, and we saw some really good football last night. Absolutely. Some people saying, you know, it was a boring game, you know, only focused on high scoring affair, but that defense from Georgia and, he, and also defense from Alabama, right? Like getting after Stetson Bennett, Will Anderson, that true freshman they have, Dallas Turner, who's like six foot four, two forty five, burning off the edge. Bama loaded, Georgia loaded. But enough of that game. Let's get to you yourself, man. I want to start by turning the clocks back a little bit and focus on your recruiting story from Colorado Springs, went to Nebraska, made that decision early on. You've been there actually since twenty six. Talk me through your recruiting process, your high school career, and what ultimately drove you to Nebraska. Man, well, I grew up um, with the dad as an NFL agent, so I was been around the game since I was three years old. And with that being said, like I follow more players than teams, and really, uh, 
really try to mold my game after and look up to a lot of pro guys. And uh, my dad represented a handful of guys out of Nebraska. And so I came to a game when I was little and kind of, you know, took in the whole Nebraska experience. And by the time I'm in high school, um, my sophomore year, like I would have been, I just wanted to play division one football. I would have been happy with Mountain West, but then my junior year came around. I really, um, really took off and Nebraska ended up being one of the teams that offered me. I had a teammate come here and play and uh, it kind of all the stars aligned and I got another offer that same day, but it didn't even feel like I, it didn't, didn't exist because I got offered by Nebraska and it was pretty set in stone there. Um, I visited CU and Cal Berkeley, but um, I've been sold on Nebraska since they uh, took a chance on me. That's fantastic, man. I actually, I went to San Diego State, but was looking at Cal Berkeley. Berkeley, man, fantastic school. But San Diego State, good in its own right. I'm glad, man. Nebraska must be happy they got you, man. You have been so successful with them over the course of your career. And something that you've really improved over the course of your career, right? You look at your PFF grades, you've improved every single year of your career at Nebraska, all the way up to what was a phenomenal 2021 campaign, an 87.2 PFF grade, playing a ton of slot cornerback for them. You are, according to PFF, the number two graded slot cornerback this year. I want, before we get to how you honed in at that position and how much you've improved at that position, what positions all did you play in high school, offense, defense? What were you, what were you doing then? I've played every single position on the football field. Um, <laughs> And that's, and that's a tribute to my dad who uh, didn't play daddy ball and made me play offensive line. And uh, I only got to touch the ball like five times a game. But, I mean, high school I played Wildcat quarterback, running back, receiver, slot. Um, I was our kicker, our punter, our uh, field goal kicker. And then on defense I played outside backer and safety. So I've, I've been I've, – I've played almost every position and – that's why it's just football to me. That's that's phenomenal, man. I think that's you have to do it, right? It's kind of like part of paying your dues. You know, you feel bad for the guys who haven't played a little offensive line in their preps period, dude. You got to get some offensive line play to really build up that toughness as a kid. Did you play any other sports? I played soccer. I played uh, basketball. Those were probably the two main sports. Gotcha. And then when you got to Nebraska, obviously recruited there as a defensive back, did you know kind of the alignment you wanted to hone in on with safety, outside corner, slot corner? I guess what was your head, mind, mindset going in to your career at Nebraska and ultimately how did it all pan out? Man, I don't even know what my mindset was. <laughs> um, I, gra- I always tell this story. At my graduation party, people were asking me, are you going to play this year? Um, da, 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 da. And I'm like, nah, I'm in a red shirt. And just because it was safe, it was comfortable. And like, I honestly was coming off a labrum surgery on my shoulder. And that's just, that was my belief level at that time. Mm -hmm. And then for me to come in and play as a true freshman and, and uh, play on all four special teams at some point during the year. um, It was such a, it was such a growth led experience just because I was playing with guys that were bigger than me, stronger than me, faster than me, more experienced than me. And I, I just had to, I had to learn the game and, Uh, that much faster which then kind of helped me the rest of my career like I just stayed ahead of the curve um had to develop physically mentally um to to get where I'm at but it's been a it's been a journey nonetheless well let's let's talk more about the position where I feel like you've played your best ball right playing in the slot and working as a slot cornerback for Nebraska's defense something that you've improved on like I said every year of your career 
I've talked to, I remember talking to Chris Harris Jr., NFL corner, who's played a lot of slot in his career, right? And he talks about, you know, obviously he says, man, it's harder to play in the slot. You got guys got two-way goes on the inside. You don't have the boundary for help. It is now a starting position, too, in college and in the NFL with how much teams are running three wide, four wide, et cetera. Is it more difficult than outside corner? I, I you know, I, I don't know. I, I feel like I can get behind that argument, right? I think slot quarterback can be that much more difficult. But I guess talk to me about the challenges at slot corner, cornerback compared to outside corner, and I guess where you feel like your game at that position specifically has improved the most. Yeah, I mean that position um, is one of the tougher on the defensive end, just because of everything you said. And uh, the offense always wants to put a defender in conflict. And that position, there's a lot of ways to put that position in conflict. So the biggest learning curve for me from playing the position up until this year was understanding what the offense is trying to do to me, mm-hmm. how the offense is trying to capitalize on my leverage and put me in conflict, and then have an idea of how the different ways they can do that from different looks, and then being able to defend my weaknesses. So just knowing your assets and your liabilities and every coverage versus every formation, and down in distance and the point in the game and understanding the psychological component of when this team likes to take shots. So just all those things kind of came together for me and I was able to put together, you know, a good year. Um, but it was, it was so mental. So much of it's in between the ears that I needed to fail and grow and um, just, you know, gradually get better. The, the challenge too is, you know, even beyond defending talented receivers and you see colleges you know college teams and NFL teams oftentimes putting their best receiver in the slot right it's not like there's you know some teams obviously have this designated slot receiver but you'll see Devontae Adams Michael Thomas Cooper Cup all working from the slot who could obviously make pan out on the outside it's become a more difficult position in coverage as you know teams have identified that opportunity but also you got to play the run right like slot corners have to show up in the run game I think that's something that's particularly special about your game right willing to come downhill and be an edge presence in the run game I guess talk about how how much your run defense has improved playing this position for Nebraska. Yeah, it's it's making it simple and understanding your run fit. Um, I mean, getting a clean run pass read is everything in this game. And I mean, my uh, my sophomore and junior year, I wouldn't say that I sometimes I was guessing out there Um, and the game was just uh, a little fast. But like I said, just all those, all the, all the successes and all the failures led to me having the season that I had this year. So I wouldn't change a thing about it. Um, and I like what you said about the uh, teams putting the number one receiver in the slot. I don't mind that because <laughs> he's there for a reason. Mm-hmm. They're going to get him the ball. And that gives me a chance to get a lick on and reroute or cover their best player, which is, which is just an awesome opportunity. So um, I love it when teams uh, throw their number one guy in the slot because it's like you're giving you're showing me your cards like I know where the ball's going. Yeah, tendency. Yeah, you could definitely see, you know, hey, you're putting him in the slot for a reason. You think you have a mismatch. Not today. Jojo Doman in coverage, baby. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'd love to hear about your film preparation process, right? I think talking to defensive backs specifically, there's it's a chess match, right? You're going against one, two, and the slot maybe more than one or two, maybe two or three, you know, two or three guys that you consistently see, and you have to know their release packages, right? You have to know their tendencies and know, you know what that opposing offense is trying to do. What when you turn on the film, walk me through a game week, right? What are you looking at on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and I guess walk me through the week? Yeah, well, you got to understand that offense is all about making plays, and they're going to find their playmakers. So understanding who their offense goes through is probably day one. 
Um, and also day one is understanding um, what formations that they feel comfortable in, what personnel packages are we dealing with. So if there are more heavy personnel, I'm going to be playing in the box more this week. And I have to, I'll probably, I have to overstudy on the, on the run fits and all the different counters and powers and gap scheme and zone schemes that they can get me in versus some more spread team like Ohio state. It's basically like, you know, the box is going to take care of itself. Like my job is to set the edge and dominate um, in the slot. And uh, so it, it's just different types of games and, on top of you got to know your opponent. So what they what their tendencies are on first down, what's their what are their third down? Third down, they get into the sticks, they're blowing the top off and plus their negative territory. Are they taking their shots? When when are they doing screens? Um, when where what's their shot zone? When do they like to take a shot? Um, just all those little things. It's just all information that when you're in, in the on the battlefield that it just, it's second nature. I don't have to think about it. I just, I know because I've prepped it all week. I've visualized it all week. I've prepared for it. And, you know, when they're on the 40 yard line and, and doubles um, on first down and we're in a certain defense, that's, that's, they're going to take a shot on this play. So I'm not, I'm not caught off guard. Yeah. I think that you have to, you know, you talk to outside corners, right? They don't bring up the run game when I ask that question, you know, they're, they're not as focused on it, right? With you, right? You have to, yeah. So it's, it's probably a primary part of the game plan there. Um, one more, a couple more things on Nebraska, and then we kind of get to your off season and what your plans are there. We've had, um, you know, I'd love to hear your relationship with Scott Frost, right? How, how has Scott Frost helped change the culture there at Nebraska and also kind of really set the tone for what Nebraska football is trying to be? Yeah, I mean, Scott, Scott did it here. So to have a Nebraska person, um, you know, running the show, I think it is good for this state and, and, and everyone's behind him. And I really hope that they can be successful here moving forward. And um, just really happy about the leadership that we had on our team um, this past year. Uh, we lost a lot of close games, but I don't think without the the player led leadership that we had that we would be in those games. Mm -hmm. So there's, you know, there's a positive, you can find the positive in everything. And even though this year didn't show it on the, on the scoreboard, we made some strides as a program and, and what the standard is. And um, I know there's some young guys in this program that are going to not only uphold that standard, but create a higher one. So um, I'm really looking forward to the, the guys in our locker room stepping up and uh, making a name for themselves and representing the end. Jumping to the offseason, I know that you accepted an invite to go to the Senior Bowl. Such a massive opportunity to go down there in Mobile, the one-on-ones. I'm not sure how much Senior Bowl tape you've watched of previous Senior Bowls, but talking to other defensive backs and receivers there, so much is made of these one-on-ones, right? It's the film that coaches look at you know, first and foremost for these things and also scouts as well. How excited are you to get down there and go toe-to-toe with some of the you know, country's best? I'm ready to compete, man. And it's not about being perfect. Uh, as a defender, you're going to get beat. But it's it's about making more plays than not. And uh, and I'm just ready to compete. Like I said, like, man, just being, being at Nebraska, I played the same guys every year. That's why when I get to play the Ohio States and the Michigans, like, I'm just chomping at the bit because it's like, bring, I need new blood. So uh, excited for the new blood at the Senior Bowl. And uh, make some uh, relationships that will last a career and on top of um, prove to these NFL teams uh, the type of player and person that I am. 
That's fantastic, man. We'll actually be down there at the Senior Bowl. We'll have to catch up in person when we get down there. Um, I think a couple more for you here. You know, after the Senior Bowl, you know, this draft process, even at the Senior Bowl, is hectic, right? Team interviews, media interviews, training for the combine, training for pro days, diet, all this extreme stuff. Do you have any like high-level goals? Or have you written anything down in terms of weight you're trying to hit? You know, certain times you're trying to hit in these drills, right? Like, how are you approaching this insane pre-draft season, right? And I guess what's what are some of the high-level goals that you have going into what's obviously going to be just like a four-month-long interview? Yeah. So I don't have any. Uh, I don't have any. I guess performance goals mm-hmm. um i mean yeah i'm gonna run a four or five and yeah i want to hit 20 on the bench press but my my main focus um my goals are are my systems um creating systems that are gonna they're gonna carry beyond this draft process um like you said nutrition sleep um yoga taking care of my body and meditation on top of just yeah just just priming priming this this whole this whole deal and being the best the best man I can be the best athlete I can be and the best competitor I can be um when the lights come on so I really am approaching this from a holistic lens and looking at it from all angles and just keeping um keeping what's important what's important and not letting it get not start to focus on you know the the money and everything that comes the lifestyle that comes with being in the nfl and just keeping the main thing the main thing that's phenomenal man i got one more question for you in this pre-draft process man you're going to get asked a lot of the same questions with these nfl teams but my favorite one that is consistently asked and i love asking players like after they receive it what they said but everyone's going to ask you how much you love football and i feel like talking to you just for the time that i've had i feel like your answer is going to be pretty sweet so when you get that question what's your first draft on how much you like football i was born to play football uh, since I could think I wanted to play in the NFL every year um, for my birthday when you blow out candles. I know you're not supposed to tell people this, but I, uh, I wish to play in the NFL. So uh, here I am. Um, I've overcome a lot of adversity um, to get to where I'm at, and I'm not going to let any obstacles stop me from um, what's in front of me. So uh, the Lord says what's yours is yours, and I'm really uh, having faith in that. Fantastic stuff, Jojo. Really appreciate you jumping on, and I wish you the best of luck moving forward. Yes, sir. See you down at the Senior Bowl. That's going to do it for this episode of Tailgate. Make sure if you want to get on the mailbag episodes, whether it's voicemail or a written mailbag, go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or speakpipe.com slash tailgate. Until next time, Austin Gale, Mike Renner, producer Mike Quinn. Let's get it.